Good afternoon. Uh, the meeting will come to order. Welcome to the May 10th uh, meeting of the Budget and Appropriation Committee. I'm Supervisor Connie Chan, Chair of the Committee. I'm joined by Supervisors Hillary Ronan and Sherman Watton, uh, shortly by Vice Chair Rafael Mendelman and Supervisors Asha Safai. Our clerk is Brent Halipa. I'd like to thank um, Jason Gohammer uh, from SFGov TV for broadcasting this meeting. Mr. Clerk, do you have any announcement? Thank you, Madam Chair. With our return to the chamber, just a friendly reminder for those in attendance to please make sure to silence all cell phones and electronic devices. Uh, the Board of Supervisors and its committees are now convening hybrid meetings that allow in-person attendance and public comment while still providing remote access and public comment via telephone. Uh, the Board recognizes that equitable public access is essential and will be taking public comment as follows. Uh, public comment will be taken on each item on the agenda. Those attending in-person will be allowed to speak first and then we will take those who are waiting on the telephone line. For those watching remotely and streaming through sfgovtv.org, the public comment call-in number is streaming across the screen and when connected. You will hear the meeting discussions, but you'll be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up and public comment is called, those joining us in person should line up to speak and those on the telephone should dial star three uh, to also be added to the speaker line. If you're on your telephone, please remember to turn down your TV and all listening devices you may be using. Uh, each speaker will be allowed up to two minutes to speak unless otherwise stated. Uh, alternatively, you may submit public comment and writing in either of the following ways. Email them to myself, the Budget and Appropriations Committee Clerk, at brent.jalipa at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the supervisors and also be included as part of the official file. You may also send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office in City Hall at 1 Dr. Carlton Be Good Place, Room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. And Madam Chair, that concludes my announcements. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Um, so um, I would love to give a uh, overview just about uh, what the presentation actually looked like today. I have, um, I will ask each uh, department to make their presentation. Uh, colleagues, you're more than welcome to ask uh, clearing fine questions uh, when the pr presentation is ended, but um, if possible, hold off sort of this di like in-depth questioning maybe after all the presentation is, are completed because maybe some of the questions can be answered by uh, you know, a presentation from another agency. So today we will start off with Department of Disabilities uh, and Aging Services, then the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing, and then the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development. And last but not least, presentation by um, the Council of Community Housing Organizations and um, the, the Housing Stability Fund Oversight Board. Um, I want to also acknowledge Supervisor Dean President um, is here with us today, who's also a co-sponsor of this hearing. Um, today, colleagues, I, I think that we understand housing has been a critical issue uh, facing the city. Um, the affordability crisis uh, really has been going on for quite some time, if not more than a decade. Um, the conditions that we're seeing on our streets but most importantly, that the people in the community that we know that have been con continuing to price out uh, for a long time uh, is really due to the lack of affordability uh, with housing. And I think some of the challenges and issues that we face uh, has to really uh, 
be addressed in the core, and housing is that core. Um, so we, I have asked these presentation, and of course, uh, you're more than welcome to branch out uh, beyond what is presented to you. Um, the presentation today I have asked specifically is really focusing on spending. Um, really the total spending of each city department, uh, the programming and uh, services provided, and uh, so in each of these programming and, and um, services, how much are they spending on, and also funding sources. That helps to understand that how the dollars are being spent, uh, where are they coming from, uh, especially critically for this body to have to decide uh, spending on general fund in the upcoming budget year. Um, it gives us a better um, idea uh, where this money has been spent. Now, the presentation today is also going to focus on the last uh, fiscal year, not the upcoming fiscal year, so that, again, give us some context of what's been going on and so that we actually have a better understanding where we want to head in the future. Uh, with that, I want to just make sure that if Supervisor Preston, you have any opening remark, and should we just go right into the presentation? Uh, my, my apologies. Oh, uh, calling the item. Yes. I always forget that <laughs> in the afternoon. Um, sorry about that. That's fine. Let's call the item before I hand it over to Supervisor Preston. Yes, Madam Chair. Item number one uh, is a hearing to discuss affordable and supportive housing, changes to revenue sources and expenditures for affordable housing and supportive housing, affordable housing product, uh, production and preservation, capital maintenance and operating subsidies, uh, recommendations and findings from the Housing Stability Fund Oversight Board to target unmet needs and gaps in existing affordable housing programs with special attention to advancing racial, social, and geographic equity. Uh, members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this hearing should call 415-655-0001 with the meeting ID 2595-316-2579 then press pound twice. Uh, if you haven't already done so, please dial star three lineup to speak. The system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand. And uh, please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments. And additionally, for the record, with um, with the arrival of both uh, Vice Chair Mandelman and Member Safai, who we are now convened as a special um, meeting of the Board of Supervisors as of 1.37 p.m. Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Clark. Supervisor Preston. Thank you, Chair Chan, um, and uh, no introductory remarks except to uh, thank you for your partnership on this and for uh, carving out the time in a busy uh, budget season to have this hearing, and thanks in advance to the departments that are going to be presenting and the community advocates who are, uh, I'm sure, going to make their voices heard, so I will hold uh, comments or questions till later. Thank you. Thank you. I also just want to uh, take notes that for all the public comments uh, for this item, we only have one item on this agenda today, but I would like to limit to one minute. Um, with that, and uh, let's start the presentation. Um, colleagues, I, I uh, want to reiterate, we're going to go through the presentation. Uh, if you have clarifying questions specifically for the presentation, uh, please hold off until the presentation is completed. But to dive deeper uh, for a more in-depth conversation, please wait till all the presentation, which is all four presentations completed. Thank you, and the first one is Susie Smith, um, Department of Disability and Aging Services, Deputy Director, Policy, Planning, and Public Affairs. Thank you. Good afternoon. Are the slides showing? Do I need to do anything to get the slides to show? Okay. 
Um, my name is Susie Smith, and I am Deputy Director for Policy Planning and Public Affairs at the San Francisco Human Services Agency. I'm speaking today on behalf of the Department of Disability and Aging Services, or DAS. Unfortunately, Director Dearman is at a conference, and so she could not personally be here today. Thanks for the opportunity for us to speak on housing programs um, run by DAS. As requested by um, Committee Chair Chan's office, I'll focus on supportive housing and rental subsidies. As you know, um, DAS's primary, primary function is, is not actually housing or housing subsidies, but we do provide um, some housing-related services and um, to people with disabilities and older adults. Okay. We also bring a deep understanding of these populations to, um, in policies and strategies to our fellow departments, Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing, Mayor's Office of Disability, and um, Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development that work more directly on these issues. DOS provides housing support through three main programs. Thanks. Thank you, Brent. Um, these are resources that are really tailored to people with disabilities and older adults, and they're paired closely with um, social services that support these populations. All of these services are provided through contracts and our community-based partners. Um, so the first, we administer a small-scale rental subsidy program that, again, is very tailored for older adults, people with disabilities. Um, we also fund supportive services in affordable housing sites that help people maintain their housing stability and maintain connections to the community. And we fund housing advocacy services to affect systemic change and improvements. I'll talk about each of these strategies in the following slides, but first I wanted to address directly the budget question. Um, overall, our fiscal year 23 budget for these housing resources was set at $10.2 million. This represents 9% of our budget for community-based services. Um, and note, while next year's budget is not final, we are looking to sustain these programs at the current level. And they're all um, generally fund general funded programs. So as I mentioned, we administer a small portfolio of direct rental subsidy programs for older adults and people with disabilities. Um, and these sit within our department because these services are provided within an aging and disability services delivery model. And they're provided, that, is, that comes through our partnerships with community-based organizations that have expertise specifically in people with disabilities and older adults. While these programs serve a relatively small number of people overall, the impact that they have on those serves is very great. Our housing subsidy program was budgeted at 4.8 million in the current year, and it serves about 350 people, sorry, 380 people per year. This program focuses on older adults and disabled adults who are currently housed, but they're at imminent risk of eviction due to inability to continuing to meet rental obligations. For example, this could be a senior who is having trouble meeting their rents upon the death of a spouse or partner. In these instances, staff 
also helps connect clients with additional resources that can overall boost their income and support their housing stability. We also fund a scattered site housing program. This was budgeted uh, this year at 3.2 million and serves about 110 people annually. And this is specifically for people who are leaving institutionalized care and they do not have a suitable home to which they can return. Clients receive ongoing housing retention services in this program. Finally, I want to mention that DAS also holds $3.2 million in funds for the city's senior operating subsidy program. This is a one-time seed funding that supports deeply affordable housing units managed by MOHCD. We transfer these funds through a work order to MOHCD as appropriate sites come online. DAS also funds supportive services in former public housing sites managed by MOHCD and at veteran housing sites. These programs promote primarily housing retention they fac and facilitate community and connection to, with um, other services that, again, help them stay housed. We know it's really important to support these residents to keep their housing given their income levels. And we know that San Franciscans who would really have a hard time staying in the city if they actually lost that affordable housing with their fixed incomes. Our main work in this area is focused on public housing sites. This began through the RAD, or Rental Assistance Demonstration, when the management of public housing was moved from the Housing Authority to MOHCD. DAS coordinates the supportive services at 20 older adult housing sites across the city, and our current year budget for this is $1.7 million. This funding supports health and wellness, as well as community development through outreach and engagement, like tenant newsletters and on-site activities. Staff there also support housing stability and helping tenants address issues that arise related to their housing, such as delinquent rent. Seeing as the success of this model, is also informed by our community needs assessment process, we created a similar program for veterans housing sites, and our current year budget for the veterans program was set at about $400,000 to support six sites. Finally, in the area of housing advocacy, our role as the area agency on aging under the Older Americans Act, we are tasked with supporting advocacy and systemic coordination Towards this aim, we fund CBO services and counseling related to housing. Our partner here in this effort is the Senior and Disability Action. Um, they advocate for systemic level changes to improve housing conditions for older adults and people with disabilities, and they also provide direct support to help people navigate their individual housing circumstances. The funding level for that program is $174,000 per year. Happy to take any clarifying questions. I know general questions are going to be reserved to the end, but again, appreciate the attention to this issue and uh, the lens that we can bring to it. Thank you. Uh, Supervisor Ronan. Thank you. Um, I just had one quick yeah. question. On slide three, the senior operating subsidies, it is, you say you're serving 380 clients. Is there 
sort of a wait list between this this program and the senior ops, the senior operating subsidy, which is for deep level of affordability. Do you happen to know that? I don't know offhand, but I can get back to you on that. Okay. And, and the reason I asked, I just want to put this on your yeah. radar. I just coming from the MTC meeting where we um, okayed and put forward a new uh, $5 million for uh, subsidy programs. It's for the entire region, but they're only probably going to grant one grant. And they want to build off an already existing program focused on seniors. Mm. I mean, obviously, I can tell you the need in general is greater than, you know, than and we it can provide. double the amount in this program. So maybe you and I can talk. That would After be great. This, I just want to get it on your radar. I don't, I want San Francisco <laughs> to, to, to get that money. Cause yeah, I, I mean, generally, as I'm sure you all know, the need for these programs, you know, especially, you know, for, for all low-income populations, but when you look at folks with fixed income, people on SSI, disabled adults, it, it's really a struggle. And, okay. and so great, I appreciate great. that. I, we'll, we'll follow up. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. And uh, with that, and I just uh, wanted to make sure, uh, so in summary, with this uh, total, all the housing programs that the DAS actually oversee is roughly about $10 million? That's right. Okay. Thank you. Uh, thank you. And okay. well, I'm sure we have more questions. Okay, but, great. Uh, we'll come back. And then we now have uh, Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing. We have Gigi Whitley, uh, Deputy Director of Administration and Finance. Thank you. Good afternoon, Madam Chair, members of the committee. I'm Gigi Whitley. I'm the Deputy Director for Administration and Finance for the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing. I'm joined by um, the Department of Public Health CFO, Jen Louie, and remotely by uh, nurse manager for uh, nurse services and PSH, Jamie Moore. And just waiting on the slides. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Dylan Schneider. I'm, I don't have access to share the slides anymore. Brent, could you regrant me access? Thank you. Those slides should be up. Mm -hmm. Yep, it is. Thank you. If we could go to the next slide, please. So uh, prior to August 2016, when the new department was formed, um, housing programs administered to serve um, adults, youth, families, and veterans um, exiting homelessness were managed uh, across the city under three different departments. The Department of Public Health um, leased sites directly with a service enriched model staffed by um, DPH nurses and city staff, but also funded units within nonprofit affordable housing buildings under the local operating subsidy program. Uh, similarly, uh, the Human Services Agency was responsible for master leasing, uh, single room occupancy units for both um, adults on county assistance and other adults experiencing homelessness, as well as administering funds through the Federal Continuum of Care Program. And the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development had a small grant for rapid rehousing subsidies. Um, next slide, please. 
All of these programs were consolidated under the new department in 2016. But in addition to these legacy programs, the department has expanded housing models to better serve um, all populations of people experiencing homelessness in a variety of housing models. Um, we started in 2018 an initiative called Moving On, a housing ladder program that allowed um, tenants of existing permanent supportive housing an opportunity to move out of PSH sites and into market rate rental units within their community. This program provides a shallow rental subsidy with limited services, and it really frees up um, those um, more service-enrich permanent supportive housing units in our portfolio for higher acuity tenants. In 2022, we expanded this program to serve family households. We've also launched an adult rapid rehousing program. These are time-limited rental subsidies with um, lighter touch services. We launched that in 2019 and have scaled up in 2022 with funding through the Our City, Our Home Fund or the Homelessness Gross Receipts Tax. And the program now includes a financial empowerment support model and workforce assistance. And finally, the flexible housing subsidy program is a relatively new program launched by the department to expand scattered site rental units um, with wraparound services so that people can leave, live within their community. And that program has also scaled uh, this year to more than 1,700 units serving adult, older adults, families, and transitional age youth. Next slide. Um, in addition, we are, have been building stronger partnerships with other um, city agencies providing housing. We've had some very successful partnerships with the San Francisco Housing Authority to implement housing choice vouchers earmarked for homeless households, especially in District 10 with the Emergency Housing Voucher Initiative. Um, over the last two years, we've had a historic expansion in permanent supportive housing portfolio through a direct city acquisition strategy where we've purchased six, six new buildings and leveraged more than $138 million in competitive state home key funds for four of those six sites. And uh, we have a six-year going on seven-year partnership with um, uh, many city departments um, but predominantly the Department of Public Health on a Medi-Cal waiver um, pilot that is now um, becoming um, the California Advancing and Innovating Medi-Cal program. And that's a critical partnership with the San Francisco Health Plan, Anthem, and the Department of Public Health, which I'll talk a little bit more later. Uh, next slide. Um, we also have closer coordination um, throughout the city departments on HSH's housing goals. Um, we meet regularly with our partners and other departments at both the um, executive level and then at a staff coordination level. Um, our housing director serves as a standing member of the citywide affordable housing committee, which approves loans and other financing for permanent supportive housing and affordable housing. Uh, we work closely with these partners to set the strategic goals and direction of the citywide five-year strategic plan, Home by the Bay, an equity-driven plan to prevent and end homelessness in San Francisco. And as I mentioned, the uh, CalAIM program really focuses on additional housing support to keep people um, housed and healthy within um, San Francisco. 
So a little bit about our program models. Um, under permanent supportive housing, we have roughly 11,000 units. 9,500 of those units are over in over 150 buildings are what we call site-based permanent supportive housing. And we operate four different models. Bas you know, some of that is really based on these legacy programs I mentioned at the top of the slides. So a nonprofit-owned model that we partner with the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development on to um, utilize units of um, supportive housing within broader affordable housing buildings, nonprofit lease master sites, city lease sites, and then the city-owned buildings that I mentioned. We also have a scattered site model where tenants live in privately owned and operated market rent units. They have their own lease with the landlord and the city pays the rental subsidy and provides case management services through our community-based organizations. The model includes housing deposits, move-in expenses, and housing stabilization services in order to make sure that folks ex um, experiencing homelessness that are exiting homelessness remain stably housed. Um, some of the services in that program model include, as I mentioned, a deep subsidy. Tenants pay no more than 30% of their income in rent, but also a robust support services model. Uh, these services are voluntary. However, the programs are designed to encourage participation. Um, housing stabilization and case management is a part of that. Referrals with our partners at the human services agencies for benefits like CalFresh and SSI. Physical and behavioral health services provided through the Department of Public Health and other CBO providers. And in-home supportive services for older adults and people with disabilities through the Department of Disability and Aging Services. Our other models include uh, rapid rehousing and housing ladder, and I've mentioned these briefly, but again, the rapid rehousing is uh, roughly 6% of our budget. These are time-limited rental assistance uh, for up to two years, and we've augmented the model recently to include financial assistance in partnership with the Office of Financial Empowerment and a workforce assistance component through the Office of Economic and Wor Workforce Development. Um, in Fiscal year 2022 alone, we placed more than 2,300 households into housing. Uh, 52 households were placed into that housing ladder program, but the majority of our housing budget, which you'll hear me discuss next, supports 11,000 households already housed within our system. Next slide. And so going into the adopted um, current year budget, uh, the first slide just shows you how rapidly the department's funding sources and budget has grown um, since 2016. The budget has more than tripled, and uh, most of that is due to uh, new local funding source, Prop C, the 2018 Homelessness Gross Receipts Tax Measure. You'll see here on the chart in fiscal 2021, there was a spike, and that really is reflected of one-time federal and state COVID aid. But we've also, for the last five years, received um, a significant amount of one-time state aid for homelessness assistance. The next slide really shows you our budget um, you know, funded through multiple funding sources. So this year's adopted budget is approximately $672 million. 42% of our budget is funded through the general fund. 35% from our city or home funds, or Prop C. Um, roughly 10% in federal funds. 
7%, um, mostly one-time state money, and then other local funds make up the balance of our budget. The next slide reflects our um, budget as a percentage of service delivery. And so I think it's important to um, note, first of all, that most of the funding within the department goes directly to services, and we fund those through grant agreements and other contractual arrangements with our community-based partners. 58% um, of the budget, or almost um, 489.8 million, is allocated to funding, um, excuse me, to housing. But as I mentioned earlier, most of that budget, or 90%, goes to continue to house people that we've previously housed within our system. So when you think about our budget overall, and you look at the percentage of temporary shelter, prevention, outreach, and uh, new housing that's available, um, most of our budget is going to sustain that supportive housing or other housing initiatives instead of place um, people that are currently unsheltered. Next slide. Um, as I mentioned, these are some of the services in the, the, the service model. Next slide. Um, I was asked to provide a little more information about the Department of Public Health Services within HSH's supportive housing um, system. And um, the Department of Public Health supports roughly $13 million annually in medical services at permanent supportive housing sites. That can include on-site nursing care and psychiatric support and roving team support through uh, UCSF. HSH directly funds 8.5 million of this total, and most of the services are provided by um, DPH medical, behavioral health, or nursing staff, or other peers, but 3.6 million of the 13 million is supported with um, contracted services. Um, doing a bit of a deeper dive into some of this newer programming, DPH um, in 2022 launched its permanent housing advanced clinical services um, work. Um, most of that was funded um, through our city or home. And this is both, both a site-based um, service model, but also has linkages to the broader public health service. The program started with 10 pilot sites in January 2022, but is now operating at 69 sites and serving more than 5,300 households. Um, this offers on-site medical and behavioral health services, as well as help um, for the on-site case management providers that HSH, is, HSH funds. That includes things like training, technical assistance, or on-site consultation for medical and behavioral health emergencies. Uh, when fully staffed, these services will include 22 staff, including nurse pr practitioners, RNs, health workers, and other behavioral health clinicians. We were also asked to um, give a brief overview of our shelter budget. Approximately 154 million in the adopted budget is programmed for shelter and crisis interventions. Our system has more than 3,000 beds. Um, serving all populations. Uh, 2,700 of those beds are shelter beds, but we also have um, other sites that we call crisis intervention sites, as well as 200 beds um, in transitional housing. And you see here on the right um, the services within that model, um, service op shelter operations where applicable lease cost 
security, two meals a day, and then case management, behavioral health, and physical health services. Um, we're not going to talk too much about our proposed budget, but I did want to show you a slide for what we presented to the mayor's office in February. Uh, this was essentially a base budget in line with the mayor's budget instructions and really trying to leverage other funding sources um, to sustain this budget. And then finally, you know, as we go into the next budget cycle, I'm excited that our um, city has released its five-year strategic plan goals to achieve a 50% reduction in unsheltered homelessness and reduce the total number of people experiencing homelessness by 15%. And so um, this plan is very much um, centered and uh, driven to um, make demonstrative measurable reductions in racial inequities that we know um, lead to and contribute to homelessness and um, ensures that 85% of people who are exiting homelessness do not experience it again. And then finally, the last slide is just a reflection of where we think those investments need to be made over the next five years. And you'll see that 3,250 um, 3, of those are in new permanent housing, but I would note not all of that is anticipated to be permanent supportive housing. There are um, goals in this plan that call for an expansion in time-limited rental subsidies as well as shallow subsidies so that we're meeting community members where they are and providing that suite of um, housing options and services to resolve their homelessness. Thank you, and I'm certainly available to answer any questions. Uh, just a quick question about uh, just the budget uh, in terms of out of which roughly about 57 or 58 percent that is allocated to housing program and out of which you have talked about the housing programs are site-based and scatter site uh, permanent supportive housing and that is really what the housing programs are um, or categorized as and then so assuming is that what you're saying is 57% of your total budget of $672 million, out of which that 58% is equivalent to roughly $389 million. And that $389 million is uh, for housing, and that housing is site-based and scatter-based. And for the site-based is 9,500 units um, across 150 buildings. But the scatter sites, can you tell me either household's number or tenant's number or site's number? So, um, Madam and Chair, a couple clarifying points. Not all of that $389 million is permanent supportive housing. That's either site-based or scattered site. 6% of the budget goes to those rapid rehousing time-limited vouchers. So that would be about $24 million. $360 million does go to both site-based and permanent supportive housing. Uh, we have, as I mentioned, about 11000 units of PSH, 9,500 of those are site-based. The balance um, of is scattered be. site. And then 2% is that housing ladder program I mentioned. Thank you. Got it. And then for the time limited, um, for the time limited, what is the, the, the number of individuals serve rental subsidies, time limited uh, rental subsidies? Yes, I have that somewhere. 
Um, approximately 1,600 households were being served through rapid rehousing. And then that's roughly 24 million. Correct. Got it. Um, Okay, I think my math teacher would be proud of me from, from school time for school days. Thank you. Um, colleagues, any? Okay, oh, Supervisor Ronan. Oh, Gigi, Ms. Whitley? <laughs> no problem. Just a quick question. Of the 1,075 new shelter uh, beds that you're planning on uh, creating in the system, does that, does that in include or is that on top of the shelter sites that you're planning on dismantling like the pier 94 or the safe sleep site of 1515 south ns i don't know if there's others you're planning on dismantling we are uh, through the chair supervisor we're planning on replacing those beds and so the strategic plan assumes that capacity stays static, and these 1,075 new shelter beds are additive. So, okay, so we would have to maintain what we have today, plus okay. add 1,075 new shelter beds. So I know that we're opposing, you know, the the dismantling of Pier 94. So, um, but you're saying that. Um, then because you're replacing those that you you really have to create more like a thousand hundred and seventy five for example to to okay thank you Just, thank you chair chan since you brought up pier 94 just a quick question because as i look at slide 19 and the first goal is to reduce the number of people who are unsheltered by 50 percent and i'm wondering how the department is going to do that when you're going to evict 100 people and put them back out on the street by the end of the year. Okay. I'm going to turn it over to our Deputy Director, Emily Cohen. Thank you for the question, Supervisor. Through the chair, you know, the expansion of shelter as well as housing and prevention is going to be instrumental to reducing the number of people experiencing unsheltered homelessness in our community. To be very clear, the 116 or so people at the trailer sites are all being offered either shelter if they're eligible, and we know that over 70 of those folks are already determined to be eligible for housing, and the remaining guests are being offered spots in existing shelter, and if they choose to stay in the Bayview, they can be prioritized for Bayview-based shelter. No one will be asked to leave and return to the street without a viable alternative place being offered to them. And so um, that is definitely part of the work. And we recognize that we have capacity to make up for, and that's why we're looking for an alternative site to move the, uh, the trailers that are in good condition to another site so we can continue to offer this type of shelter in the future. Thank but you. As, of, as of now, there is no, no site located. And are you guaranteeing 100% that everyone that is going to be evicted is going to have a place to go? What, I, what our briefing memo said and what we discussed when I met with your staff is that every person will be offered a place to go that is either housing if they're eligible for it 
or shelter if they're not eligible for housing. I cannot force somebody to take that particular offer, but we are working closely with the guests at Pier 94 to identify housing and shelter opportunities that will meet their unique needs, as well as their geographic preference. And you have a list of where everybody's going already? I have a list of what folks are eligible for, and we're in the process of matching them to available resources. Thank you, and uh, let's go to the next presentation. And I also want to say we will we are we can always circle back for deeper conversation. And the next presentation is Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development by Benjamin McCloskey. McCloskey, sorry. McCloskey. Thank you. Good afternoon, Supervisors. Benjamin McCloskey, Deputy Director for Finance and Administration at Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development. Uh, as I think you all know, MoCD's mission is to support San Franciscans with affordable housing opportunities and essential services to build strong communities. Our budget for fiscal year 22-23 is $210 million, and that includes 127 positions and we're, we're organized into four divisions, housing, community development, home ownership, and below market rate, and then finance and admin. Uh, the housing division focuses on multifamily housing, creating housing policies and programs. The community development division works with a broad network of CBO partners uh, to create an inclusive and equitable city, uh, mostly through grant making to those CBOs. Uh, our HBMR division is maybe the one that's a little bit more confusing. Not only does this division focus on our home ownership opportunities, it also helps implement the inclusionary housing programs across the city, and it runs the lotteries for all of our affordable housing programs. Uh, and then the finance and admin division supports the other three divisions in getting that work done. So uh, as far as budget overview, Approximately 60% of MoCD's budget does not go through the board's annual appropriation process and is appropriated by the board at other times. And to give you a sense, I took a snapshot from the last complete fiscal year, which was 21-22, and per your request, looked at spending. So uh, in that fiscal year, about 31% of our expenditures were from GEO bonds that the board <coughs> appropriates at other times. About 18% were from federal and state grants that come through the accept and expend process. Uh, about 10% were from development impact fees like the inclusionary housing fee. Uh, about 1% were from loan repayments from previous affordable housing loans and then miscellaneous other 2% of expenditures. So those, those don't come through the, the annual budget process. Flipping to fiscal 22-23, what did come through the annual budget process through the board, uh, a total budget of about $210 million. Um, and, you'll, and, and you can see the list here on your slide. I'll go through some of them. Uh, I think key to notice is all of the times that, that one time is underlined. because so there are one-time revenues and expenditures that are going to drop out in the, in the, next, in the next year. Uh, about $55 million of general fund grants to CBOs, about $45 million in the housing trust fund, uh, $26 million work order from our colleagues at HSH to support the local operating subsidy program, which uh, Gigi Whitley mentioned, 
supports uh, formerly homeless households be able to live in our, in our, in our affordable housing properties. Uh, a one-time market rate housing developer contribution of about $18 million. Uh, $15 million of renter and home buyer assistance, so rental assistance or, or down payment assistance. Uh, about $13 million, which was a general fund HOPE SF investment. Um, about $11 million of housing impact fees and revenue from former San Francisco Redevelopment Agency housing assets. Uh, one-time general fund contribution funding rehab of existing affordable housing. Uh, paying other departments is, was about 4.6% of, uh, 4.6 million dollars, sorry, of our budget. Um, one-time investment in senior operating subsidies of $4 million and about $3 million from hotel tax for cultural districts. So because of all those one-time things, we thought it would be helpful to then shift to what, we, what the department proposed in our, for our 23-24 budget. Um, and I, I do wanna say at the outset that of course this is just our department submission and the mayor's budget office is still finalizing their funding decisions for next fiscal year. Uh, so all of those one-time things that I noted on the previous slide are, are backed out, uh, leaving approximately $183 million budget uh, proposed for fiscal year 23-24. When you think about our budget uh, proposal for next fiscal year, I, I wanted to give a perspective per your request of sources and uses. So on the sources side, the general fund is about 40% of that. The housing trust fund is about 24%. Uh, work orders from other departments to MoCD is about 21%, and that's predominantly the lost work order that I mentioned previously. Uh, market rate developer contributions, about 9%. Uh, revenues from the former redevelopment agency, about 3%. 2% from inclusionary housing fees, and then a little bit from hotel tax and loan servicing fees or other fees for service. Flipping to how that funding mix is deployed, about 55% uh, we're, we're proposing is to be deployed in grants to community-based organizations, mostly on the community development side of the shop. About 31% for affordable housing loans to housing, usually new housing development. About 8% for salary and fringe, and then a portion for work orders to other departments, debt service on previously issued debt, um, property, and other non-personnel expenses. So in, the, in, in our proposed budget, uh, our budget instruction targets were a reduction of $3.1 million in the first year and $4.9 million in the second year. Um, those reductions in our proposed budget were from our CBO grants and short-term rental assistance line items. Uh, but again, that's just a proposal. We don't have a specific reduction methodology at this time, and we don't know, yet know the scope of any possible reductions in the mayor's proposed June 1 budget. Uh, Supervisor Chan asked specifically for us to focus on a few key areas, drilling down a little bit deeper, so I'm going to do that next. For multifamily housing development sources of funding, 
this chart, you can see the anticipated funding available next fiscal, fiscal year and our current best guess of what <coughs> loans we're going to execute from that funding. Uh, so the top part, you'll see the items that are going to go through the, the annual appropriation ordinance, and then you'll see the, the portions that are not going through the annual appropriation ordinance because they're, they're appropriated in other ways. Um, so, and then the very last subtotal is geo bonds, which includes the total and funding available does include amounts of geo bonds that have been approved by the voters but not yet issued. So we don't have access to the full $369 million immediately uh, on July 1st because we align spending with issuance timing. So across, across all of these different sources, we're looking at around $700 million of uh, anticipated funding available anticipated executing loans for around $300 million. And the balance of that is either uh, not yet issued uh, geo bonds or uh, funding that's reserved for uh, housing projects that are in the development pipeline, but they're not quite ready to start construction in fiscal 23-24. Looking at how that $306 million of anticipated uh, uh, expenditures on the multifamily housing side would be deployed. About $46 million specifically to capital maintenance, so really focused on uh, maintaining our existing housing portfolio. About $2 million for debt service. Uh, about $77 million for infrastructure at Hope SF sites. So as I think the supervisors are aware, Hope SF is not just about rebuilding uh, new housing opportunities. Those sites also require a total re-envisioning of the infrastructure at those sites. And so some of our affordable housing geo bonds actually support the infrastructure development at Hope SF sites. Uh, as, as far as the production of new affordable housing, about $181 million, um, $86 million or so uh, focused on acquisition of land, around $10 million of capacity building and pre-development loans, around $41 million of gap financing, which is, uh, is the term that we use for essentially construction financing, um, and then $43 million specifically targeted to pre-development. So that's architecture, engineering, uh, other studies and entitlement costs that are required. And then about $800,000 of direct project-related legal costs. So that's how we're planning to deploy um, about $300 million to multifamily housing development uh, in the next fiscal year. And again, this is our, our best guess at this time. Uh, as you know, uh, housing development projects do not do not move forward on a fixed timeline all the time. There are a variety of reasons why things might go faster or slower, ranging from the availability of state funding to neighborhood concerns and other things. But given our best guess at this time, this is how we plan to deploy the funding next fiscal year. Uh, the supervisors also asked specifically about small sites program where we acquire and rehabilitate existing rent-controlled housing to, to prevent it from being lost uh, as, a, as an affordable housing source. Uh, 
currently anticipated funding available of about $91 million from the sources that you see on, on the slide. And right now we have queued up about $46 million worth of um, anticipated loans executed in the next fiscal year with the balance uh, trailing in following fiscal years. Uh, the supervisor also asked about the senior housing subsidies, and this is really split into two parts, project-based and tenant-based. Uh, the project-based we call the Senior Operating Subsidies Program, and there is about $9.2 million of general fund carried forward into next fiscal year. Uh, that some of that is, is from uh, what HSA, HSA mentioned earlier. Uh, some of that is a $4 million of one-time general fund that I mentioned earlier in this slide deck. Um, we also have $52 million for senior operating subsidies from the state of California that we're spreading out between now and April of 2028. And for all of these senior operating subsidies, we're building this funding into the project development budgets, capitalizing it there so that we are able to reduce rents for those seniors over a 15-year period. So that's the project-based senior housing subsidies budget. We also have a tenant-based rental subsidies for seniors who don't live in our existing affordable housing buildings necessarily. Uh, this uh, budget for next fiscal year is from the general fund. It's $2.7 million in our proposed budget. And this, this funding goes through a nonprofit partner to, to administer the funding. Uh, the supervisor also asked us to briefly address tenant right to counsel and what the total anticipated funding for tenant right to counsel would be and the various fund sources for this. So in our department proposed budget for next fiscal year, uh, total funding of just shy of $18 million for tenant right to counsel. And you can see it's a, it's a funding mix. Some of it from federal CDBG funding, some of it from the general fund, some of it from the housing trust fund, and then and, uh, our city, our home work order from HSH to, to carry out the balance. And that's the end of our presentation. Happy to answer any clarifying questions you have. I have a few too, but um, Supervisor Roy. Thank you. Just two clarifying questions. Um, do, so for the small sites program on slide 13, so you're saying that currently you have $91 million available for that program with $45 million of it anticipated, like already programmed basically? Correct. So in, in next fiscal year, there's a couple. Of, there's a few projects already queued up in 24-25 that are going to spend some of the remaining balance. Okay, but there's there's a pretty significant balance in there. The, currently, there there is uh, some balance available. Um, the program um, the program partners are aware of that, and I think we've been getting interest as. Um, the CBO partners approach MoCD with uh, ideas about potential sites. Okay, great. And then the second question is, what with the senior oper operating subsidies, what's the nonprofit that you work with for the $2.7 million of deep subsidy? 
I don't know the answer to that, but my colleague Brian Chu, I believe, is on the line on Teams, and he should be able to tell you that. Yes, Supervisor Ronan, uh, we work through Catholic Charities for the Senior and Disabled Subsidies. Okay, great, thanks. Thank you, and I uh, want to uh, piggyback on that $2.7 million of tenant-based uh, rental subsidies. So is that the separate and apart from the four, four point from actually what DOS receive. So this is, so Correct. there's like a separate program and this Correct. is with Catholic Charity, 2.7 on top. Yes, totally separate from what DOS spoke about in their presentation. The only overlap at all between the presentations that you've heard so far is there's about, in that first, in the project-based SOS 9.2 million, there's about 3 million or so that's a work order from uh, HSA that they mentioned in their slide that comes to us. That's a portion of that 9.2 million, but that's the only overlap uh, that you've heard about so far. And because even the local operating subsidies program, the $26.3 million, is not the same as the time-limited rental subsidies Correct. that the, HSH has. So Correct. it's on top of that. Yeah, so the local operating subsidies program is a work order from HSH to MoCD, and uh, it supports formerly homeless households in MoCD properties uh, to be able to afford the affordable rents because the affordable rents are set at maybe 50% AMI, 60% AMI. Formerly homeless household can't afford that. Uh, so throughout the MoCD portfolio, we have many of our buildings have 30% homeless set aside or something. We have a, a few 100% permanent supportive housing buildings in our portfolio. And this work order from HSH every year helps to support the operations of those buildings so that the tenants can afford to pay the rents. Sorry, when you say correct, you mean is additional to what HSH providing or it is actually a work order from HSH to you? It's a work order from HSH to us. Okay, so the overlapping, there's about three millions with DOS and then 24 millions or two, anywhere between 24 and 26 million overlapping in this presentation between HSH yes. and MOHCD. And the senior operating subsidies is just the 3.1. There are, of course, is some overlap between homeless households and senior households, but we treat them as separate programs. Understood. And then I also wanted to clarify, too, that, you know, uh, we're really talking about when this pine chart that it's showing us, you know, the percentage of, which is a page, a slide eight and nine, um, indicating, you know, 55% grants is grants going to CBOs, and then 31% housing loans, uh, you know, that percentage breakdown is really for your operating budget of $182 million. Correct. And then for the remaining of the um, slides that have different indications like multifamily housing development uh, or small sites, you are listing specific sources of funding received and that's your, you basically are the portfolios of programs that you're managing. That's, that's an excellent way of describing it. With, it's a portfolio approach, both not just department-wide, but even program-specific, program and often even down to the CBO level. Uh, if we're working with a CBO partner, a lot of times our CBO partners receive a grant from us, and it's funded from multiple different funding sources um, for a variety of reasons. Great. Thank you. 
sorry, I just wanted to get back to that question about the small site. Yes. Um, so the remaining 45 million or so, are there already, you know, applications or prospects programming all that $45 million or is there any money left in the small sites pot that hasn't even been, that, that there's no projects out there potentially looking at that, at, at this as a source of funding? So I'll, I'll address that a couple of different ways. Uh, first, this is from the department phase of our budget, our, our proposed budget. So we don't have, yet have clarity on if this will be fully represented in the mayor's proposed budget. Um, some of that $45 million, I think around 10 to 20 of that $45 million, we anticipate uh, we already have projects identified, but they're closing uh, the permanent financing in fiscal year 24-25, so they're not represented here. Uh, there, there is some balance remaining, and we have an open... We don't, we don't operate the small size program on a set timeline for applications. It's kind of an open first-come, first-serve evaluation process. Uh, and I'm not sure the current status of like how many do we have in the queue to evaluate. There's, we, all, we get uh, suggestions all the time. I will say that. Okay, thanks. Supervisor Preston. Thank you, Chair Chan. And just to follow up on uh, Supervisor Ronan's uh, question on uh, small sites, and thank you for the presentation on that. So it, we did, and are happy to, to share with the committee, we did a, a, an LOI letter of inquiry on the on the small sites program, because uh, you know, obviously, this was a big step that the board took uh, to the tune of of appropriating a total of seventy four million dollars, which most of this um, for the first dedicated funding for the small sites program are significant amounts, um, and so, and then that was. Um, not really moving forward and being spent for a while. Um, and there was about, probably about a year long sort of pushing to have, uh, I think MoCD was working on pro some programmatic changes and regulations. Uh, um, and then we did the letter of inquiry and got, got the response, which, which sim gives similar numbers. I think what I wanted to check is just whether any more has been committed. That was basically a February uh, LOI response rather than go back through all the details. I just mm -hmm. wanted to see if, uh, I think at that time, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was like 41 million or something was uncommitted. Um, and I just wanted to see if any more funds have been committed since the, that February LOI response. I, I just glanced back at my colleague, Lydia Ely, and it looks like the answer is no. Not, no, no more commitments. Got it. Thank you. So I think I think the message loud and clear, and this has been, I know we'll hear from the Housing Stability Fund Oversight Board, but this has been one, one of their major recommendations around pursuing more aggressively acquisition strategies. I think the board has really stepped up in, uh, in uh, funding that, and there's still quite a ways to go in terms of getting that money out the door. And, and, and while I understand some of it, and I don't know what's up in the air in terms of the upcoming budget, but but some of it is is for that purpose. So when the board appropriated the $64 million as well as uh, the other $10 million, so $74 million of that uh, was committed for for this purpose. So That's correct. Uh, right. So I, I don't know if um, it sounds, but it sounds like there may be some, some question on the other sources as to whether they're 
the, the status of those going into the next fiscal year? Uh, as you know, Supervisor, the, the mayor's proposed budget is released on June 1st and, and we'll have more information about at that time. Got it. Okay. Thank you. Well, I look forward to, you know, both, you know, in our district and beyond, uh, you know, I know there's huge appetite for this. I think a lot of folks got the message that, that for a while when we we're having this battle at the board, the message from the administration is we're not going to spend this, these funds, even if you appropriate them that, you know, we, we've, we've been through that period of time, uh, you know, and uh, no need to rehash that. Let's, but Fortunately, I think we've moved on from that to like there are these funds they are starting to get out the door to the tune of about Half of it now being out which is a positive thing um, But I think to the extent that there was anyone holding back around this um, I, I think the the message should be loud and clear that you know these funds are are ready to go right unless unless there's a different message from OCD, but I, you know there there are remaining funds to do these kind of small sites acquisitions, right? We definitely invite any interested CBO partners to to reach out to our office and and start the start the process of having conversations. Um, there's always there's always possibilities of just like with our multifamily housing portfolio. There's always things that might be kind of shifting around, something that might seem very certain to us and even in the small size portfolio that we might be planning on may or may not actually end up making it over the finish line for whatever variety set of reasons. Um, but yeah, our CBO partners should definitely reach out to the team. Thank you. And thank you for the clarity in the, in the LOI response and to the, for the staff's work on making sure these funds get out. Thank you. Supervisor Walton. Thank you, Chair Chan. Is this the time to ask any questions? Um, I think we're only asking clarifying questions based on the presentation. Would you like to ask questions about the presentation or we can also just wait till we have one more and then we're done. I can wait. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, the next presentation is, and definitely not the least, um, is the Council of Community Housing Organizations and Housing Stability Fund Oversight Board. And we appreciate everyone's work on this. And, and definitely the um, Housing Stability Fund Oversight Board has consistently um, helped us and guide us through how we should be spending the money. So we appreciate you being here. And when you're ready to go, please state your first name, last name, and which um, organization you, you represent. Sorry, just trying to figure out the screen share here. <laughs> we have the slide deck open on the laptop. Yeah, it's on this. It should be on this screen. There you go. Oh, there we go. Thank you. All right, do you want to? We have a joint presentation today. Uh, I am Lee Levitt from the Council of Community Housing Organizations. I'm Shanti Singh. I'm chair of the San Francisco Housing Stability Fund Oversight Board. 
Great. So we are making this joint presentation because we are representing a broad coalition, different coalitions of interests on ensuring housing security here in San Francisco um, through a lot of different avenues. And for the Council of Community Housing Organizations, we are 22 member organizations, um, having been active for 45 years now. And as you can see on the slides, we have um, Chinatown Community Development Center, Mercy Housing California, Mission Economic Development Agency, um, Homeownership SF, uh, Bishop, and in addition, we've had active partners for months now uh, working with us on these you know, very serious budget questions, not just on the organizational level, but looking at what our communities need. And that also includes TNDC, um, SFHDC, uh, Swords to Plowshares, um, Bernal Heights Neighborhood Center, HomeRise, One Treasure Island, Young Community Developers, Self-Help for the Elderly, Poder, and um, Senior and Disability um, Advocacy. So you can see that we are organizations that not only build affordable housing, as well as permanent supportive housing for those who are formerly homeless, but also service providers in so many different areas uh, across different districts, and also advocacy organizations. Um, so the Housing Stability Fund Oversight Board. Um, so some of you know, on November 3rd, 2020, San Francisco voters voted to approve Proposition I, substantially increasing the transfer tax on large real estate transactions. Um, to date, Prop I has brought in more than a quarter billion dollars, with a B. Um, and the Board of Supervisors created the Housing Stability Fund on Prop I's passage and the Housing Stability Fund Oversight Board provides budgetary recommendations annually to the mayor, the board, and MoCD. 10 of our members are board appointed, and one member is appointed from MoCD by the director. Uh, as with last year's recommendations, we engaged in an extensive, extensive public engagement process where we heard from community groups, from labor, and directly from low and moderate income San Franciscans themselves, not just San Franciscans who live in San Francisco, but San Franciscans who work in San Francisco and cannot afford to live here anymore, um, especially this year hearing from emergency response essential public sector workers. So we want to step back a bit because today you're hearing a lot of numbers um, and we really appreciate all the hard work of the city, you know, the agencies that do this work. Um, so the, you know, of course, the legislative branch who's really watching over these numbers. Uh, and together, we are trying to deliver and support people. So at the end of the day, when you're looking at these numbers, it's about people who could have help today so that they are in stable situations and much more expensive problems are prevented tomorrow. You know, I think you all understand that because as supervisors, you're on the streets and talking to people, you know, you're having them knock on your doors. And so to put that in context, we're advocating together for the city to scale up resources for affordable housing production. That's truly affordable. We want to tie this back to this whole recent process, which has been you know, high profile in the media on the new housing element. The last one that just ended an eight-year period called for our so-called regional housing needs allocation, sorry, there's some edits there, uh, of 16,000 affordable housing units out of a much larger group that includes uh, market rate. Now, sir, scroll forward for the next eight years, our city is being called upon by the state of California 
along with other cities, to build a lot more units. And for the affordable housing sites, that's almost three times the number, 46,000 affordable units, to serve households in need. Um, let's go to the, that next slide, because it really breaks down the numbers. But instead of kind of like staring at these charts, I want to say we have to deal with the gap, because the gap that you see between what we have done and have tried to do in the blue the last eight years, and we want to do in the golden colors for the next eight, is what we really need. The first three rows of bars represent the people who are very low income and to, you know, up to moderate income. These are folks who are not making the $97,000 of the area median income that this housing is, affordable housing even, is pegged to. Market rate has overproduced. It's done well, it gets an A plus, that's on the right side. So that's what we want to understand, that it is this gap that we are really looking at, and the 46,000 new units we're trying to construct is trying to help those folks. All right, so one second. <laughs> um, so we'll start with the budget recommendations that came from the HSFOB. Um, I'm gonna break these down as concisely as I can, um, starting with a $30 million ask for land acquisition for new construction. This would be two pieces. One acquisition from other city departments of underutilized public lands for developing affordable social housing, including units targeted for public sector and other essential workers. It also includes a balanced approach toward acquiring privately owned transit accessible sites that are equitable across both well-resourced neighborhoods and housing element designated priority equity geographies for the development of affordable social housing and limited equity housing cooperatives. I really want to make note, and we wrote a whole report, so I won't read out our six-page report or however long it ended up being, but I do want to make a note that unentitled land costs are currently at a 10-year low, I believe 60K per unit, this is not an opportunity we want to miss out on, um, even when the market is down. We also recommended another $30 million for capital funding for new affordable and social housing, prioritizing essential and public sector workers. I know I already touched on this, but last year um, we pushed for $12 million to support teacher housing. Um, this year I want to highlight that we heard extensively from members, uh, member tenants of SEIU 1021 and Jobs with Justice about the urgent need to house public sector and essential workers. Um, I think everyone who's been thinking about our emergency response understands that we can't have emergency workers who can't afford to live in San Francisco and are expected to respond to our emergencies. Um, that $30 million includes pre-development and development costs for low and moderate income housing targeted for San Francisco public sector essential workers, including but not limited to educators, nurses, paramedics, janitors, and transit workers. Um, we also include in that $30 million non-low-income housing tax credit, housing development, and construction costs that do meet the affordable social housing requirements uh, set forth when we founded the Housing Stability Fund. The next item almost there, <laughs> is $18 million in building upgrades and repairs. This is comprehensive across cooperatives, public housing, and SRO housing. Um, we have heard a lot of feedback about how urgent the investment in our existing housing is. Um, this includes accessibility, life safety upgrades, and emergency repairs to non-RAD public housing and existing limited equity housing cooperatives, HUD funding housing cooperatives, and MoCD-owned cooperatives. 
And uh, one thing I really want to highlight and also thank um, Senior and Disability Action um, for working with us on this so extensively is the need for elevator installation and upgrades in nonprofit-owned SROs with, supporting, with supportive housing units and other nonprofit-owned SROs serving extremely low-income tenants. This has become truly a matter of urgency. Um, our, that we also asked for $5 million in funding affordability for seniors and people with disabilities, um, building on you know, what we've heard particularly from low-income senior and disabled tenants um, who worked with us through this process. That would break down into uh, at least $4.5 million for senior operating subsidies. I know previous presenters have touched on that but also $500,000 for a pilot project-based accessible housing operating subsidies for accessible housing units for non-seniors with disabilities. And finally, uh, $2 million in support for housing innovation. We really need to continue, um, you know, not just buttressing the models that we have, but innovating new models for low and in moderate income public sector and essential workers and low and moderate income San Franciscans in general, um, if we're going to meet our housing element goals or even dream of being able to meet them. Um, and, uh, and so that $2 million is to continue, you know, researching and, you know, we, this is part of last year's uh, budget as well, but, you know, there's a study with MoCD, I don't believe the NOFA's out yet, um, there's one that's being carried forward um, through, uh, through LAFCO, pending a BLA report, I believe, um, and, yeah, so that's, that's the smallest ask, but uh, that breaks down um, our budget recommendations, and I will hand it off to Lee to talk about uh, Choo Choo's budget asks. Great, thank you. So to frame this, um, as a coalition, we have reached out to other coalitions and groups to really identify a set of collective asks that help to add to and amplify, of course, align with what the Housing Stability Fund Oversight Board has recommended. Uh, and so if you can also, members of the um, board, you should have a set of spreadsheets, and those were direct submissions from organizations doing this work on the ground, also coalitions um, such as the Supportive Housing Providers Network. So that you know, provides specificity on the types of programs uh, and the actual work that's being done. But that slide is a highlight, so we'll start with the housing production and preservation. Definitely want to lift up the 30 million for land acquisition, also the 30 million for um, new construction that the oversight board is talking about. And we're asking as well that we need, the city needs at least $45 million in new preservation dollars. In San Francisco, that's the small sites fund. And basically it helps to um, protect um, rent control departments by taking them off the market and nonprofits have the opportunity to acquire and manage these sites. Uh, and the pipeline needs to keep going uh, because whatever are the unspent funds as previously discussed will dry up and by the beginning of the fiscal year, um, the city and the partner nonprofits need to be ready to, you know, to quickly do this work. The next category is asset management and this really aligns too with the building repairs that Shanti was talking about. So we call these quality of life improvements, but they're also safety issues. And the context for this, and you will see this in your spreadsheets, um, supervisors, is that uh, back in December of 2022, Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing reached out to 
about two dozen um, providers of supportive housing and said, what are the capital improvement needs? Um, there is documentation out there from HSH, and of the 21.8 million, um, they were told that 5 million was available. So we want to make sure that necessary repairs as well as upgrades are covered. And then we also have um, organizations that serve seniors. So there are assisted living facilities, memory care, and um, you know, day facilities that also need um, you know, maintenance for their, for their operations. Uh, the next category of programs and services is actually specific to permanent supportive housing. So once again, this is serving people who are formerly homeless. And imagine being in these environments where, you know, a person might be off the streets, but it is so important to have not just the services, but the kind of community that you need. I really want to lift up... Um, what the departments were presenting about the FACTS program, where they're bringing in you know, clinicians and nurses and you know, all these skilled medical professionals, that's one piece of the wraparound. The other piece is really the tenants and the staff and the managers all kind of on site really watching out and ensuring that you have a stable and vibrant community. So in this category, in the spreadsheets, you're gonna see things like a peer-led overdose prevention program, because a lot of that, you hear about it on the streets, that's covering the news. The stuff that's covered, that's in, you know, behind closed doors, that's just as important too. These are people's lives at stake. That's just one example, and there are a number of other examples around building safety through violence prevention, through staff training, you know, through um, rapid interventions that really help people people in the immediate surroundings to respond to situations without having to have more expensive emergency um, response. So uh, the next category is tenant services and support, and you can see we're here aligned, and also additive, asking that you know, for extremely low income, and that's less than 30% of that area median income I was talking about, Many, many residents in our city fall in that category, and we're asking for these additional operating subsidies. Um, and it could be for tenants and SROs, more for the seniors, people with disabilities. Uh, and then specific organizations do tenant advocacy. Um, but that includes things like case managing, um, outreach, um, and just you know background administrative support. But Tenants need support more than just one time. So when you see the actual numbers, it could be in the dozens, it could be in the hundreds, you're not just serving those people one time, but you're actually serving a much larger community. It's the you know, networks, the, the, the people and their families, the, the people who are helped downstream. Uh, and so when you're helping what looks like a small subset of numbers, you're really empowering a much larger community. So um, finally, to go to our last slide, this just kind of puts together the choo-choo and the Housing Stability Fund Oversight Board recommendations together so you can kind of see all those numbers in one place. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'll just add real quick. Um, I did want to thank, uh, since uh, you listed your folks, we're going to also add, well, I want to thank Choo Choo, but also um, the Community Tenants Association, Jobs with Justice San Francisco, um, San Francisco Anti-Displacement Coalition, San Francisco Tenants Union, San Francisco Building Trades Council, SEIU 1021, and Senior Disability Action, who really put in a ton of work and input in helping us craft these recommendations. Thank you. My clarifying questions, just really quick, and looking at the last slide, just want to confirm, uh, looks like um, the housing stability 
um, uh, Oversight's folks is asking a total $85 million, while Choo Choo is $90 million total. Ask. Mm -hmm. Correct. And then it's in those categories. Um, I do know. I do want to note some of them seems overlapping of what was already presented overall for city departments, like you know rental mm -hmm. subsidies. So, are you asking additional to what the city departments have presented, or are you are you simply sort of just making sure those um, funding continues? I would characterize it more as the latter, <laughs> um, but. Um, okay. You know, we're, I think we are we are trying to get at least some handle while being, you know, understanding this is a challenging budget environment. But we are trying to get a handle on, you know, at least what our baseline needs are. Got it. Um, and I, I would definitely, you know, particularly with respect to the housing stability fund, um, you know, we were modeling this after some varying projections that we've gotten about Proposition I revenue in particular. Um, so I, we really are thinking about this as a baseline. Got it. Because, I mean, right now so far, just overall, the, the, I just want to clarify for everyone in context. So far, from according to Department of Disability and Aging Services, that's a, a little bit over $10 million, um, out of which there's a $4.8 million, very specifically for rental subsidies. And then from the presentation from the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development, that's roughly about two point seven million dollars for the tenants base rental subsidies with Catholic charities so I just wanted to make sure that we know the context um, for now but thank you so much any clarifying questions seeing no none thank you so much uh, for being here we appreciate your presentation colleagues that is the end of all presentation as of almost 3 p.m. Um, just wanted to um, to uh, this is the time where we now go into, into this conversation and then uh, we will go to public comments and as mentioned earlier at the beginning of this meeting that the public comment today will be limited to one minute. Um, Supervisor Preston. Thank you, Chair Chan and uh, thanks to everyone for the presentations. Just want to follow up with uh, some questions around, I, I guess primarily from OCD, around the um, some of what was raised around Prop I funds and Housing Stability Fund uh, recommendations. Um, and I mean, this is, we, we've gone over this in multiple presentations. We heard it today. We're looking at it over the next uh, eight years in the upcoming RENA cycle. The city responsible for creating over 46,000 units of affordable housing. Um, so, um, what what is the funding gap to reach those targets? And we've talked about this generally um, uh, around the need if we're serious about these targets uh, to be clear on what the funding gap is. Does does most CD have a an estimate of that? Good afternoon, supervisors. I'm Lydia Ely. I'm the deputy for housing at MoCD. Um, the estimates um, are pretty high for what it would take locally to meet the RENA goals. I think the estimate is $19 billion in local funds and $30 billion in state and federal funds. Um, and that, as you can understand, is kind of an aspirational number, which is why it's so round. Um, and I think it makes a lot of assumptions about how 
costs will continue to escalate um, on the construction side and acquisition side. Thank you. And, and so, I mean, I don't think any of us take that number lightly in, in the departments or on this board, but I also think it's, it, it challenges us and we have all come together unanimously past the housing element. And so uh, I, I trust we're all serious about trying to, to bridge that gap as best we can. But, but I think, it, is it, I don't want to put, put words in anyone's mouth, but I, 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 I mean, is it fair to say, given that reality you just painted of a $19 billion gap in local funding, that we need to be using every possible source we can for affordable housing? I would agree with that. I would say we also need to rethink the way housing is funded. Those numbers are not realistic locally or federally or on the state level. So um, I think there needs to be new strategies that if we're even going to come close to meeting the housing element goals. Thank you. And so just focusing for a second on Prop I revenue. So since passing in 2020, Prop I is generated as... Um, Chair Singh from Housing Stability Fund Oversight Board referenced uh, more than a quarter of billion dollars and is on track to continue raising funds. Um, so the how, how much of those funds has MoCD requested to be included as part of the budget for affordable housing in the upcoming year? Is there a request? Um, thank you, Benjamin, for taking that one. Uh, Supervisor, there has not been a formal request as part of the mayor's department phase budget. There was no additional request for the general fund revenues that were generated by Prop I. And has the mayor included any of those funds in her draft uh, budgets submitted to the board since 2021 when the Prop I revenue started rolling in? Uh, I don't believe so, Supervisor, but I can't be 100% certain. Well, I'll, I'll uh, maybe help you get to 100% because I it's unless someone has breaking news, uh, I, I believe the answer is no. Um, so with this gap that we're talking about of a huge gap locally to reach our affordable housing goals, the planning department when they were crafting the, the new housing element that we all approve recommended that the city, and I quote, utilize the two new sources of funding, gross receipts tax and real estate transfer tax to partially meet our funding gap. Does MoCD agree with that recommendation? Uh, I, I can't speak from Mo, on MoCD's Mo behalf in that regard. I do think that I, I agree with your premise that 100% of what we can do to uh, maximize the number of affordable units we can get toward that renewal, the specifics of um, where those sources of funding come from, I believe are the purview of the mayor's office and the board. Okay, I, so I'm, I'm confused. I'm asking mayor's office of housing. The planning department has said, utilize these two sources of revenue. 
that's a recommendation to try to address this gap. And I'm not hearing whether the department has a position on, on concurring with that recommendation or not. I, I don't know that we have a position on that recommendation specifically. And ask maybe a different way for, for this upcoming year as the Mayor's Office of Housing uh, committed to using the revenue from Prop I for this fiscal year for affordable housing? The Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development is committed to deploying all of the revenue sources that the board and the mayor appropriate to us. Okay, you've heard a presentation from the chair of the Housing Stability Fund Oversight Board and thank you to Deputy Director Ely for her participation uh, on that body and they did a lot of work and a great deal of expertise both from MoCD and community advocates have presentation with recommendations. Um, does uh, MoCD agree with and intend to implement those recommendations? Uh, I'll leave that comment to my colleague Lydia Ely. Thank you. All of the programs and suggested um, program areas that are identified in the Housing Stability Fund's recommendations this year are things that we do or have done. Um, so there is no question that um, if the 85 million were to come to MoCD, it would be deployable. Um, I think where we don't have um, Insofar as I'm one of, gosh, a dozen people on that board, I support the use of the, the, use of the funds in this way, but um, we, MoCD is not making a recommendation to the mayor's office on the use of the Prop I funds partic in particular. So no recommendation from OCD on the use of the Prop I funds or the recommendations, but if those funds are included by the mayor in the budget, then MoCD would be prepared to implement them consistent with, the, there, there's no issues or barriers if the funds were provided by the mayor uh, or any concerns you wanna raise about the substantive recommendations from the, the oversight board. Is that, do I have that right? That's right, the program areas are areas that we're already working in, we're already implementing, and we're already deploying funds in all these areas. Right. One of the big differences between sort of the work that I think has been carried out in recent history by MoCD and the recommendations to the Oversight Board, and I think where they've really weighed in strongly, is on this issue around acquisitions, around land banking, around site acquisitions, around getting ahead. Uh, and it's a discussion we had a lot in the context of the housing element, saying, you know, this cannot just be around, like, what can we build tomorrow? It's got to be around a vision of building 46,000 units, which is going to take all hands on deck and acquiring sites, right? Especially, especially while the values are relatively low. So that's been a consistent theme from the Housing Stability Oversight Board that has kind of gotten a mixed reaction, I, it, it, my impression subjectively from 
the administration from the mayor from OCD. I, so I just want to, like, that, that is a thrust of these oversight board recommendations. Do you and does OCD agree with a, a strategy of ramping up acquisitions and, uh, and land bank banking um, as a strategy? Um, well, if I may just point out, we do have an open note for right now for land acquisition, and it's $40 million, and we received a number of applications. Um, we can do more of that. I think what we need to keep remembering is that actually building those units at two hundred to $300,000 a unit um, needs to be considered as well, and we don't have funds for uh, that right now. We don't have funds for a number of pipeline projects, uh, not to mention the one, the sites we're acquiring right now. So I would answer your question to say yes, site acquisition, as long as there is some consideration for a strategy for actually building the units. I'd also like to point out that when the city owns sites, it can uh, be really costly for us to maintain and secure those sites, sometimes up to half a million dollars a year per site. So that would also need to be considered as we pursue a land banking strategy. Uh, is there a land banking strategy? I mean, when, when Director Shaw was here in the context of the housing element, he was clear that MOCD did not have a land, land banking strategy. And I, and I will tell you from the perspective of this supervisor and from advocates that it, is, it, it feels a bit like pulling teeth to get an investment in site acquisitions and land banking and, and kind of swimming upstream here. Uh, and you cite the, the no fund. I'm glad that went out. It also took almost a year of advocacy uh, to get that NOFA out the door. Um, and I understand in some ways that the acquisitions and land banking are maybe outside the traditional kind of comfort zones of, of uh, most CD priorities. But has there been internal discussion since Director Shaw was here uh, and in the housing element context and confirmed that there wasn't a land banking strategy to actually discussing uh, how to move forward more proactively a land banking strategy? Um, well, the issuance of that NOFA essentially established a land banking strategy because it says unequivocally that we probably won't have the, time, the money to build those units for a number of years. Um, so, I mean, again, in a perfect world would be acquiring sites and building sites you know, on a, on a uh, predictable cadence, and we would acquire sites now with the expectation and knowledge that we'd be able to build them in a few years. Um, we don't have that strategy for the actual, actual building of the units, so, you know, it kind of begs the question, how many, how many sites are we going to acquire um, before we take a pause and focus on dedicating funds to actually building those sites rather than just acquiring more. It's a, it's a difficult situation. We lack a crystal ball, sadly, um, for what's going to happen with the bonds, whether they're local or regional bonds, what's going to happen at the federal government, at the state. Um, but given today's, what we know today, we don't see, um, you know, nobody's riding in on a white horse to save us, like the resources that we have now or what we can expect for the future. And um, I personally would not advise a extremely um, robust land acquisition strategy without an accompanying strategy for actually building the units. 
Thank you. I, I, yeah, I don't think we're going we're gonna to get there. If we limit ourselves on acquisitions to what we can immediately build, we're certainly not going to hit 46,000 units. And, and I, will, I will just maybe end by saying that, um, I mean, you may be right. Nobody's riding in on a white horse. I, I would say at this point, uh, the board and the voters of San Francisco tried to uh, ride in on, I don't know if it was a white horse or something, tried to come in and tax the hell out of very, very rich people to get the money <laughs> to at least start making a dent in this balance um, and has been met with nothing but pushback. And it's strange, we have to dedicate so much time and energy to these discussions around what out of the 19 billion we need is somewhere between 100 and 150 million a year basically coming in. And it should be a given, right? It should be a given in my opinion. Uh, you know, when, when, when I came to office, we were told there wasn't money for all these things. And so we said, well, let's, let's go to the ballot and get it. And then this board responded and we went to the ballot, did the tax, raised quarter of a billion already and we'll continue to probably raise 100 to 150 million a year. Um, and then we have to fight every year you know, I mean, the voters pretty clearly authorized the tax, knew it was going for affordable housing, and yet we have to have this uh, this battle every year. There is there is a certain absurdity to it all, um, and I think voters want us to have more of a visionary approach, not be fighting about the Prop I revenue every year, but instead using it and, and, and coming together. And I appreciate your, personally your role in having that constructive dialogue on the oversight board, because that's the conversation we should be having. How are we going to spend these funds? Uh, not are we going to, uh, you know, whether we're going to spend these funds uh, every year. And so I'm, I'm very proud of this board for um, appropriating these funds, um, you know, with or without agreement from the administration, uh, and proud of the, the deal last year through the COPs to figure out a creative way uh, to fund it. Um, but I think, like I said, it should be a given, not a fight every year, that we're going to fund the affordable housing uh, that voters voted for and raised by taxing those who are privileged enough to be selling $10 million properties in San Francisco. I'll leave it there. Thank you very much. Thank you, Super Pre Supervisor Preston and Supervisor Walton. Thank you, Chair Chan. And just <clears throat> real quick, I do have a follow-up question from OCD, just for clarity. On slide seven, uh, you talk about a decrease to nonprofits uh, and the reduction is 3.7, but on page 10, it says the target was 3.1. Sorry, I don't have the slides in front of me. So slide seven, sorry, what were the two slides? So it says 3.7 net decrease in grants to nonprofits on slide seven. On slide 10, it says oh. the targets were a reduction of 3.1. So I'm just. So some of so the, the 3.7 that you're seeing on slide seven, the, that's under the heading of the elimination of one-time items. So they were that $3.7 million was only appropriated by the board one time. So for example, during the board ad back process, if there's one year or two year ad backs, if it's only funded for one year, uh, it's going to show up the next year as a decrease. 
and the the budget instruction targets are totally separate and apart from what's on slide seven. And then were all your proposed cuts and reductions to community and CBO grants? Uh, that is the only line item that we proposed reducing, yes. So you didn't give up vacant positions or anything else? In, in That's an excellent question, Supervisor. Um, the most of MoCD's positions are not funded with on-budget sources. Most of MoCD's positions are funded with off-budget fund sources. So, for example, the the community development block grant program administration has an administration fee. Um, so while the positions are appropriated through the AAO, a lot of the money for those positions isn't actually in the, in the budget. So, so dealing with vacancies actually doesn't, unfortunately, isn't a lever that's easy for us to, to pull to, to deal with savings. What does the C stand for in MoCD? Community. And all of your proposed reductions are to community? Uh, all of our proposed reductions are in grants to CBOs. That's correct. But the C in MOCD stands for community? Yes, sir. Thank you. Um, can I have a representative from the Department of Homelessness in support of housing? Thank you. I I see on page six you refer to um, clinical services. I'm just wondering what those are. Sure, Gigi Whitley through the chair, HSH. So our clinical services are um, behavioral clinical um, social workers and other peers that provide a variety of case management services. As I also um, referred to during the presentation, we partner with the Department of Public Health on uh, behavioral health and medical services. Um, some of those services are also provided through community-based organizations. But those can be a variety of services to help people thrive, um, stabilize in their units, um, integrate within the um, housing community um, and at the site and um, you know um, continue to um, pers pursue their their hopes and dreams can you tell me about how your housing subsidies fall into achieving your racial equity goals Sure. I mean, I, I think our strategic plan goes into a lot of different strategies about how the department is poised to achieve its racial equity goals. But I think the scattered site program and um, Supervisor Walton, your district was a, a wonderful example of this with the emergency housing vouchers really partnering um, with communities um, who represent what their community looks like. Um, um, you know, a, a racially diverse and culturally competent community-based provider who knows the people in their community and their housing situation and then can match them to um, a scattered site unit within their neighborhood. And so that's really been the goal and kind of the 900-plus subsidies we were able to partner with the housing authority um, with and um, rehousing people um, within District 10. Got it. And I do want to go back to uh, Pier 94 because I know um, 
Ms. Cohen stated that there was a plan that was sent out um, to to my office and to colleagues, but I haven't seen a plan. I mean, I've seen something that was termed an update um, that talks about who's eligible for certain certain services and who's not. And it states that you will be making offerings, but it doesn't say where folks are gonna be offered to go. It doesn't say whether they're non-congregate or not. Uh, it doesn't say where the RVs are going to go. So I'm, I'm, either I don't know what a plan is or that's not a plan. And by the way, the communication to the board and the title of, I don't know what this is, says wind down overview and, and a bi-monthly status update. So I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to find the plan. So this memo articulates the plan that we um, have presented to you as well as the plan that we presented to the Port Commission to, and this, so this is a summary of the plan and what I would say is the reason we have asked the Port Commission for an extension until January, given that our agreement with the Port effectively has us out now. Um, you know, our agreement with the port allowed us to operate this site at Pier 94 until 30 days after the health emergency ended. We have requested an extension to the end of the year, which we presented as an informational item to the Port Commission. They have not yet voted on, but the intent of that is to give us time to wind down the, the project. The process we are using to wind down is the exact same one that we used for the SIP hotels, where we effectively rehoused 1,800 people out of the SIP hotels and out of homelessness into long-term permanent homes. And that was 100% of? It was not 100%, but it was the most people we've ever housed in one initiative in the past, and we are taking that model to apply here. So the first step is to assess every guest at the site. We have done that with all but 14 guests as of Monday. 70 of the guests assessed were determined to be eligible for housing, 24 were not. So for the 24 who were not determined to be eligible for housing, we will offer them congregate shelter in the Bayview. As a first offer, if they do decline that offer, we will make an offer in another neighborhood. For the, for the 70 folks who are eligible for housing, <clears throat> this is why we've asked for the extension. We are not ready to place them today, but oh, between today and the end of the year when the site is due to close, we are confident that we can move all 70 into housing. The options that are available to them will be a variety of housing resources that we have available, all long-term housing. Not another homeless shelter, not another temporary location, but either permanent supportive housing in a project-based setting or a voucher uh, depending on sort of their needs and preferences. Well, I don't, I don't share your optimism um, and neither do a lot of the residents on site. I mean, they've been quoted as not sharing your optimism, saying you have permanent housing for them and yet they're not permanently housed. Um, so I, I have to look at the data and look at what's happening. There are residents there that have said that you have housing for them, but they don't have that housing. Correct, because we are in not, process this is not of moving them into This is not Supervisor Walton's statement. These are coming from residents, and it's been mm -hmm. duly noted. So I, I don't share your confidence. And I also want to say, because we've had this conversation before, you keep referring to the port like it's some alien entity. That's another city department, 
right? So they're just as responsible in making sure that people are not put out on the street as any other city department as far as I'm concerned. You two are supposed to be working together. You refer to them like they're some separate type of entity and not part of the city family, but they are. And, and so I wanna make sure that you know, as we work to, to keep people off of the streets, because you're literally gonna be putting hundreds of people on the streets with Supervisor, what, what that is planned. not true. I'm not debating with you. I'm gonna say what I wanna say, because that is true. Because you just said you're gonna make offers. You don't have places for, for them to go. You, you said that. I have places for them to go between Where? now and the end of Where? the year. Vouchers, project-based. Where are they going? Where are the RVs going? You, you, get, you get my point? You're not telling me where they're going. You're saying you're going to make offers. Where are these folks going? We are in the process of I, doing this. They I will have it. offers and places we, to we go. Can go. We can do this all day. You don't have a place for everybody to go. If you want to keep responding and saying the same statement and going in a circle, that's fine. But you don't have places for these folks to go. And this is not just on you. This is, you know, this is definitely not just on you. The port plays a role in this. And I, I know the port wants to think they're not part of the city and they're some state entity. And then I asked them, well, is this on the state? Then they say no, because the state gave us the RVs in the first place. So you know, I just want to make sure all this is on record, because right now the plan is to put 100 folks on the street, most of them black people, and the crisis here in San Francisco, we, have, we don't have enough shelter. We have an RV site, non-congregate, bathrooms and showers. I mean, this is unbelievably a, a, a space that exists different for folks who are unhoused. To have this available is like a, a treasure. And to be talking about putting these folks on the street is a problem. And there is no plan for them to be housed. You can't tell me where they're going. You can't tell me where the possible other RV sites are. That's not a plan. Just because you know who's eligible and who's not, that is not a plan. So I just want to make sure that we're clear on that. As we move forward, and, and I know I, I don't want to take too much from what this hearing is about, but at the end of the day, you know, let's just be honest about what's happening and what we're doing when we have conversations here. That, that, that's the main goal for me. Thank you. Supervisor Ronan. Emily, I'm wondering, sorry, if you could come back. Uh, sorry, Director Cohen. <laughs> I'm always fine. Um, sorry. Um, so, does HSH believe that part of its duties are to keep the areas around homeless serving temporary shelter clear and clean and pristine? Thank you, Supervisor. Through the chair, HSH recognizes that it is the city's responsibility to maintain the areas around homeless service sites, whether that's shelter or permanent supportive housing, and that we cannot do all of that alone. Um, in terms of this requires a partnership between multiple city departments, depending on what we mean by clear and clean. Um, we certainly, through our contract contracts with nonprofit partners, do require them to monitor the perimeter to make sure it is kept tidy. But the perimeter is not the only issue, right? When we talk about around the sites, <clears throat> we're often talking not just the fence line, right? And so we do partner with SFPD, we partner with HSOC, we partner with Public Works, depending on what the particular need is to help ensure that city resources go to support the sites that we fund. But when they're not, you know, clear, like pretty much historically 
all the navigation centers in the mission, not when there was, you know, the one on Mission Street, the one on Division currently, and now mm -hmm. 1515 South and S. They've never been kept clear, clear and pristine. Who is the ultimate person responsible and coordinating the work of the multiple departments to make sure that 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 status quo changes absolutely so if we're talking about encampment activity hsoc is the entity that is responsible for coordinating multiple city departments to resolve encampments of tents we know that that's again not the only issue around the sites and so then hsh does take a lot of does a lot of the work to coordinate those responses with other city departments but in the case of 1515 south and s hsoc has said we've done everything we can do that we can't do anything more so then who, so, so whose responsibility is it now? Now that, the, that, that HSOC has said, this is beyond the scope of our abilities, and so we can't do anything It's anymore. a collaborative responsibility. You know, the, the situation around 1515 South Venice involves behavioral health needs, it involves shelter needs, who, and it involves cleaning. There's but who, who, who takes responsibility? Because I'll tell you who's taken responsibility up to now, it's been me. It's been the supervisor who, you know, has a staff of four. Um, and so I'm just wondering who is the person to take responsibility? And I, I don't say this only for 1515 South and I say this for the fact that you're, you're planning on opening over a thousand new temporary shelter sites. And, you know, in, in this conversation that we've been having about the fact that you can't keep, you can't, unlike other neighborhoods, you can't seem to keep the areas around the navigation centers or, or, or other homeless serving centers in the mission clean, clean and clear and, and, and safe, safer and, and, and cleaner than they were before they came in. And the mission has been one of the most welcoming neighborhoods to all of these amenities for people experiencing homelessness. We're proud of that fact. Many of us are, not everyone, but many of us are proud of that fact. <laughs> uh, I, I, and, and, and yet you're going to put a thousand units somewhere else in the city because the mission is not going to accept them anymore until that changes, until that status quo changes. Where are you going to put them? Especially when the supervisor cannot look their constituents who are opposing the project in their face and say, I promise you this amenity will make your neighborhood cleaner and safer than it's ever been before. Supervisor, I, we have a lot of work to do to ensure that our projects are the best neighbors that they can be in terms of operations. And I think, you know, that we're exploring a lot of different strategies if that needs to involve partnerships with ambassador programs, dedicated cleaning, other sort of community amenities that go with shelters as they go into communities and we want to build that in partnership with the host neighborhood and we want to figure out how to work with the community the supervisor and the host neighborhood to make these programs an asset and we have seen them in some areas be incredibly helpful i think in areas with deep encampment activity it is harder to disrupt and change that that culture when it's just harder to disrupt and change it rather than sort of a holding a space that wasn't previously deeply encamped. And so, you know, this is going to take all of us, but we also know that we cannot clean up, clean up the situation on the street when it comes to encampments without places for people to go. You know, can I stop you right please? there? Please. Because 
I, you and I have been in dialogue about this yeah. for going on years now. Mm -hmm. and, and, it, and it's never happened over those years. Like it's never been like the Embarcadero Center, pristine outside where you would, you would never know that it's serving uh, a homeless population or, or a population of people experiencing homelessness. That's never been the case in the mission in front of any navigation center um, at all. So who is in charge? Because I have called every single department. I have had conversations with every single person. I have tried to get everybody to do their job. Everyone finger points at everyone else. When there isn't somebody in charge, then it doesn't work. It doesn't happen. There has to be a person responsible and in charge. Who is that person? The Department of Emergency Management is responsible for coordinating city response to street conditions, not just through so HR, Mary Ellen Carroll but is through in charge. a variety, in partnership with others. It's not something that one person or one entity can do alone. This is not a trick question. I, this is, I'm, I'm really trying to answer I, you but, honestly. But, but, but here's the problem, Director Cohen. It doesn't work when there isn't someone in charge. It, I, I've been asking you to do this for two years, and I finally said, okay, we're not doing new services until you actually listen to what the community is demanding. And, and it's fair because you've done that for other communities. You just haven't done it for the mission. And, and you finger point at each other. It's, at first it's HX, then it's Department of Management. No, it's public health. No, it's this. No, it's that. I believe HSH should be in charge that HSH should take ownership and coordinate all those departments to make sure it happens. That otherwise, the Department of Emergency Management needs to run 911 and make sure that we're safe during a fire or an earthquake. The Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing should be responsible for making sure that in the very least, because we don't have enough shelter for everyone on the streets, that when there is a shelter in a community, that the area around that shelter is kept clean so that it improves the neighborhood and people feel good about the fact that they are you know, part of the solution to this crisis. But you, you, have, you, you don't do that in the mission. So something is deeply wrong with the system. And, and, and someone has to take ownership over this problem, and nobody will. And, and it's not working. I'm telling you right now, it's not working, and you know it's not working, because we've been working on this for two years. And I finally just had to say, I, I, can't, I can't ask for help anymore from all these city departments. You know, my staff goes out, one, you know, we have four staffers. One of my staffers spends most of his time on this issue one of my four staffers. How many staffers are there in the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing and in DPH and DEM? Thousands of staffers. And not one person can take responsibility for this? It's, it's, it's enough is enough. And, and so what I request of you is that the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing finally say we are in charge. We are in charge and we're going to Figure out what the issue is preventing change in front of the navigation center that we fund in the neighborhood and that we oversee the contract for the provider. And 
we are going to figure out why we can't make movement and then work with that department to make sure that change happens. And, and HSH has never done that to my knowledge. And, and please tell me if I'm wrong. And every time I ask you who's responsible, you, you tell me a different department. It's Sam Dodge, it's Mary Ellen Carroll, it's Hillary Cunnins, it's, you know, Carla Short, it's, you know, I, I, but it's not working. It doesn't work that way. I, I need HSH to be responsible for this. So that no, not only comment. me at yeah, 1979 yeah. Mission, yeah. but all of my colleagues welcome the thousand more beds into our neighborhoods and we fight off our own communities that we represent that are in opposition. I fought off every community. You've been with me in every single meeting. You've seen me do it, right? And, and, and for, I'm not running for re-election, so I can do that easily, but my colleagues have to run for re-election, look their constituents in the eye and say, I know you don't want this in your neighborhood, but this is good for the city. And, and, and let me promise you that this is gonna improve neighborhood conditions. If they can't say that, how are they supposed to stick up for these projects? It's really a problem. It's a problem that I've been tr trying to bring up. We want to welcome these services into our neighborhoods. We have. But if you cannot operate the facilities in a way that improves neighborhood conditions, then our constituents are right to be up in arms. And, and, it, and it's not working. So I need HSH to take charge of this and to actively coordinate different city departments to solve the problem. And in the two years that I've been asking you to do it, it hasn't happened. And now there's a project that, mind you, I fought for the money for, mm -hmm. is now on the line. And then, and, and you in the paper say, okay. there's nowhere else in the city to place those projects. Well then, where are we gonna build these thousands of new beds? I mean, Supervisor, to be clear, what I said that was that this was the only publicly owned lot that we had our, had identified at this point for cabins in this community. This is a vacant publicly owned lot. I think it could do so much good for our community and for your community together. And I absolutely agree that we need to do much more to make our projects good neighbors, to improve the conditions in the neighborhood. And I'm happy to work with HSH to take a stronger role in that as we look at this. This will, you know, one of the, I think one of the potential impacts of this would be an increase in the cost of shelter. Because if we add a community ambassador sort of model to every shelter, that would really, really help. But it would or also could, significantly increase or the cost. Or could we add a new staffer at HSH whose responsibility it is to coordinate all city departments to ensure that the areas around navigation centers and temporary housing and supportive housing are kept in pristine condition so that people welcome these oh, services yeah. into their neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. yep. So can you commit to putting that staff person in your budget and to taking responsibility for seeing this happen? I cannot make budget commitments on the behalf of the department during this hearing, but I am happy to take this back this recommendation and have a serious conversation with my colleagues. You know, we are hiring a new community engagement manager um, who can play a big role in this area, but we also need partnerships from our programs division, and I'm confident we can come up with a, a, a response to this and a way to improve this condition. Okay. I, I, 
I've been asking for two years, so it, it couldn't come soon enough. Understood. Thank you, Supervisor Ronan. Supervisor Safai has, let's go to, okay. Got understood. Um, thank you, and uh, yes, let's go to public comments, and I urge the State Department to actually stay um, and listen to the public comments, and, and also the supervisors may have follow-up questions after public comment. And Mr. Clark, let's go to public comment. Thank you, Madam Chair, members. So the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up along, uh, right along those curtains. Thank you much. Uh, for those who have joined us remotely and haven't already done so, uh, press star three if you wish to enter the speaker line. And for those already in the queue, uh, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted, and that will be your signal to begin your comments. And as the chair stated earlier, we are timing each speaker at one minute for this hearing. Um, if the first person can, uh, can step up to the lectern, please. Can I start now? Yes. Okay. Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Grace Ken. I'm retired. My monthly income is $1,500. I cannot afford $1,000 rent. So the low-income housing for seniors is very important. And I wish, I hope, please help get me a shelter. Thank you. Thank you so much, Grace, for your comments. Me too. I am the resident for here more than 15 years, but um, I only get retirement about 1,100 a month after deductor Medicare that only 800 something, 900 less. But I, I cannot pay for more than 700 rent every month. I wish the government and new people could help to help me to pay for the rent. Otherwise, it's very hard. Thank you. Thank you much for your comments. Next speaker, please. Hi, Madam Chairman and respectful uh, supervisor panel. My name is Manson Lam from the Self-Help and the Elderly. On the behalf of the agency, you see some of our elderly have spoke. A couple of things that I want to bring to light to, uh, to your attention. Um, the SOS program that all you guys have talked about is very critical to our senior population because you really don't want to turn the senior population in the homeless population, and it happened in the past. We have to deal with the situation that they have no money, $1,000 income, but the SRO is $1,000, so we scramble to help the uh, elderly. Also, another thing that we want you to uh, consider working on is the senior have two issues that they're facing. One is from the income have changed, from a working individual to retiree, they're still stuck with the rent or whatever the rent they have, even at the affordable housing. Secondly, is the composition of the family size have changed from two person and, and become one person. So as you know, the income from the SSI or SSA will decrease, therefore Speaker's they cannot able to do it. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Hi, my name is Nick McCoy, uh, I live in Soma. Thank you for the opportunity to speak. I'm sorry you got beat up like that, Hillary. Like, it's, you know, uh, it's not necessary to like, come down hard on you. Like, I realize what's going on. I've been on the streets, I've come off the streets, I've gone through the programs, and I have my space now, it's mine. 
and I protect that space. And the space around that I protect, I work with my neighbors. We created our own neighborhood, our own street, our own street group. We work with drug dealers. We work with homeless people. We work with everybody in our neighborhood to make sure we get things done. Sister Rosen, I, I appreciate you taking that fight for two years, but you got to keep taking it. That's your job. Please don't complain about it. We love you. We know you do your job. But to come down on her like that was kind of rough. You know what I mean? Let her, you know what I'm saying? Work with her. And I don't think that the answer is to put another job in the city. Those are impact jobs. I see sisters on the street that pick up bottles and they pick up trash to, to take it for recycling. Maybe create a way that Let's some of those people that are already that. out there can and rotate into some of the jobs that they have. Thank you so much, Nick, for your comments. Sustainability. Speaker's time has elapsed. Thank you so much. I, I, I have to, I, I, I understand that, sir, but I have, to, I have to clock everybody at one minute. I have to clock everybody at one minute, sir. It has to be equal. Next speaker, please. Thank you. I understand, sir. I, I understand, sir. I understand, sir, but I do. The chair did set the clock at one minute per speaker. Next speaker, please. Thank you, I'm sorry. I'm an attorney at the AIDS Legal Referral Panel. I'm also a, a constituent in District 5. Uh, I also wanted to speak to the, um, uh, the subsidies affecting seniors. Uh, I can say that we as advocates, when we are advocating for subsidies, we are not anticipating that the needs of our most vulnerable folks change from budget cycle to budget cycle. So this is a very scary cut when we're talking about losing these subsidies for our most vulnerable individuals. Um, they continue to be the fastest, most effective, most flexible ways to get folks, uh, keep folks stably housed and get them housed. I have personally housed people using the subsidies provided by MoCD. Um, <clears throat> Uh, they are quick to, to do the time of application and cutting a check uh, as opposed to the building of units. Uh, they are cheapest, estimated about $1,500 per month as opposed to the many thousands of dollars um, per unit uh, for project-based subsidies and they are flexible. They are local uh, dollars that can be used free of encumbrances from federal funding. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Stephen Spano, for your comments. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon. My name is Ms. Colorado, and I was born and raised in San Francisco. I am a senior, disabled, and a retired health worker. I have been facing eviction for the last two years, and I have never heard of all these programs up until now. Would have been very helpful. Um, during the last cycle, the city met its housing goal, but only 40% were for low and medium income units and a whopping 60% was for high-income units. Market rate does not compute. Public input is key to prevent this from happening again. Do not dismiss environmental impact. People like me are not liabilities. We are value-added. Please set aside $82 million in new Prop I funds and dedicated to affordable housing this time. Change the formula. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Colorado, for addressing yes. the committee. Next speaker, please. 
Hi, my name is Stephanie Gott. I'm the Assistant Deputy Director for Housing Support Services at Catholic Charities. In July of 2022, we started a new housing subsidy program for HIV-positive individuals. We inherited this program from another agency which had about 90 clients. We've quickly grown to about 160 clients. We've recently had to pause enrollments on new clients because we're not sure of what our funding will be next year. And we have to turn away clients every day, multiple times a day, telling them to call back in June or July when we might have a better idea of what our funding might be. And these subsidies have been life-changing. We have been bringing in people who have been homeless off the streets and finding them apartments. And it is a quick and easy solution to the homeless situation. Thank you. Thank you so much, Stephanie Gottam. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon, Supervisors. Alex Lansberg, Research and Advocacy Director with the San Francisco Electrical Construction Industry. Um, thank you for holding this hearing. I think the housing budget and our expenditures, uh, they, they really are critical to San Francisco's economic recovery. I know we talk about the impacts on people directly from homelessness, but it's also a broader impact uh, for the city. Getting people housed and keeping them off the streets is vital. <clears throat> Uh, especially as conservatives use their misery to attack and demagogue our city. Um, the successful implementation of San Francisco's housing goals is going to require working with uh, nonprofit, local, uh, local organized labor, local businesses to really build the housing that, uh, that, our, that our people need. Four years ago, the board passed the PLA ordinance that brought unions into building San Francisco's public works. But despite passage of the PLA, MoCD is, uh, is of the opinion that city-funded uh, housing on public land is not public works. The PLA complements the economic recovery impact of our housing expenditures. New research from the Independent Project the Analysis Group. One sentence. So and full union, projects show the full union projects have higher labor. Thank you much. Next speaker, please. And I do apologize for cutting anybody off, but I am enforcing a one-minute timer as has instructed. And people can also write their public comments, too. Yes, absolutely. Uh, please begin. Good afternoon, Chair Chan and Supervisors. Caroline Fang with the Mission Economic Development Agency. I'm excited as Choo Choo Board President and Meta to collaborate on the alignment of our city's goals for affordable housing with the budget this year. We understand the challenges that we face, and we also trust this community understands that affordable housing funding creates more than just the housing benefits across a spectrum of healthy community outcomes. Households who are rooted in San Francisco build San Francisco's economy. With affordable housing, we've been able to provide spaces for small businesses and community-based organizations. In other words, the ecosystem for San Francisco neighborhoods. We are asking for consideration of funding for both production and preservation of affordable housing. With this money, we can build and buy more. We are ready to do this with the organizations that have built their capacity during the pandemic. Thank you. Thank you much, Caroline Feng, for your comments. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon, Chair Chan, Supervisors. Uh, Peter Papadopoulos with the Mission Economic Development Agency. We very much appreciate this hearing today and for this opportunity to have this public discussion. And uh, as noted earlier, we're all aware of the very large challenge of the RENA goals that we're all going to hopefully collaboratively work on. And in that context, you know, we think it's important that we get off to a very strong start together. For neighborhoods like the Mission, we know that um, COVID was a very stark um, reminder of what overcrowding is and how it's a social determinant of health. 
and we saw Latino homelessness spike 55%. Similar stories happening throughout our neighborhoods during that period. So we think it's critical that these community organizations that you're seeing and hearing from today be funded in these ways so that they can be our frontline responders as best as possible and that they can support our seniors, people with disability, and our working class who were during COVID and remain our essential workers. Thank you. Thank you much, Peter Papadopoulos, for addressing this committee. Next speaker. Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Fernando Marti. I've had the honor of being vice chair of the Housing Stability Oversight Fund Oversight Board and working on the set of recommendations that were forwarded to you. Um, part of how we got there was through a robust public process with a lot of feedback. Uh, talking about the needs that aren't currently being met. You heard uh, the budget that's presented for MoCD. There are things that are not in that that we wanted to address, including uh, the need for elevator uh, repairs, the need to address uh, our HUD-funded co-ops and other buildings, uh, the need to start exploring new innovations around housing, uh, including social housing. So that was what was forwarded to, to you from the Housing Stability Fund. I believe, Supervisor Chan, you pointed out um, that the Choo Choo had additional pieces to that. And I think one of the things that's really critical is remembering the importance of our preservation programs and making sure that those continue to be fully funded into the coming years. Thank you very much. Thank you, Fernando Marti. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon, Chair and committee members. Uh, my name is Julian Johnson. I serve as the Health Policy Analyst at San Francisco Community Health Center. Um, I'm here to speak um, in support of housing subsidies as an important tool um, to address the barriers of housing in San Francisco, particularly for people living with HIV. I ask for your consideration and support of a budget ask for fiscal year 2023 to 2024 um, proposed by the HIV AIDS Provider Network, otherwise known as HAPN. HAPN is requesting funding of $3.6 million to achieve the goal of housing 1,500 individuals living with HIV over the next eight years, or approximately 200 individuals per year over eight years. This funding would provide 200 individuals with housing subsidies at an average cost of $1,500 per month per client over a year. We know that housing, substance use, and mental health are key barriers to getting to zero here in San Francisco, and we know that providing housing is the single most critical factor. Stable housing not only improves the health of the individual living with HIV, but reduces risk of transmission as well. We must do more to address the housing needs of people living with HIV, and we want to continue to work with this body um, to address those needs. Speaker, time has elapsed. Thank you. Thank you so much, Julian Johnson. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Keen Chacuneta. I'm with uh, Jobs with Justice San Francisco today. Um, and I'm here to urge the full adoption of the recommendations that were approved by the Housing Stability Funds Oversight Board in April. Uh, we know that we're in a crisis. It's not a mystery. Uh, the data around um, whether it be displacement, affordability, rent burden, it's all there. And it shows what gaps exist. Um, and what the recommendations from the Housing Stability Fund Oversight Board would allow us to do is to begin to fill those in um, and provide housing where we know it's needed the most. Um, in October of 2021, Choo Choo and Jobs with Justice and with the support of SF Labor um, published the Housing Our Workers report. And what it chronicled was the experiences of people who were living in San Francisco, many of whom had good union jobs but were still not able to access housing here. Um, and those who couldn't obviously were displaced, right? And there are consequences to that displacement um, in terms of climate, uh, social, cultural, uh, many, many more. Um, and um, I know I've got no time, but I just wanted to say um, I was at the Board of Ed last night, and I heard from a paraeducator who cares for the kids in the city on just $28,000 a year. And we really need to make sure that we're moving to, to make sure that folks can access housing. Uh, thank, thank you. you. Uh, thank you, G. Catching for your comments. Next speaker, please. 
Hi, good afternoon. Uh, my name is Kristen Nation. I am the Director of Asset Management at the San Francisco Community Land Trust. SFCLT is an affordable housing nonprofit providing permanently affordable rentals to low to moderate income people in San Francisco. Our mission is, is to stabilize affordable housing in perpetuity for low income and working class residents. SFCLT is making a request for a general operating capacity grant for $300,000 for 2024 and 2025. We are in a critical period of ramping up our capacity to support our properties and act more quickly on COPA listings. We're doing critical work to stop displacement and create permanently affordable housing. We currently own 145 units of housing and provide housing to 300 residents of low and moderate income. We're an important part of the developer ecosystem as the largest citywide developer of the Small Sites Program. We are supporting emerging BIPOC QNPs and CBOs to develop SSP projects. Thank you so much for your time and your support. Thank you, Kristen Nation, for uh, addressing this committee. Next Hi. Good afternoon, Supervisors. Thank you so much. My name is Roisin Eisner. I'm with the San Francisco Tenants Union. Um, yeah, I just wanted to echo the recommendations of the Housing Stability Fund Oversight Board and the Council of Community Housing Organizations. Um, we really can't afford not to be dedicating new Prop I revenue to housing. You know, this is a windfall for affordable housing, um, but it's also only half of 1% of our budget. So this on its own being scattered through the through the general fund is really not going to solve any of our meaningful budget issues um, and should remain dedicated as the voters intended, as was communicated in every piece of materials to the voters to affordable housing. Otherwise, we, we do know that our housing affordability and homelessness crises will continue to get worse. Thank you so much. Have a nice rest of your day. Thank you, Sheena Eisner, for your comments. Next speaker, please. Hi, my name is Teresa Imperial. I'm the executive director of Bill Sora Housing Program. Um, I urge you to adopt in the HSFOB and future budget recommendations. Um, Bishop provides an array of services to San Francisco community members who are housing insecure and need support in finding and maintaining affordable housing. We have served 676 households in the last year, and, this, and these are not one-time meetings. These are multiple, multiple meetings, follow-ups, and communications in order to get into affordable housing or simply maintain your current housing. We urge you to continue to expand the tenant services and provide tenant support with bilingual and cultural competent services that are needed in our immigrant communities. In addition, it is also very vital to expand the capacity building for acquisition preservation for SOMA. SOMA has always been the ground zero for aggressive displacement, and SOMA has become the very first community where the small size program has started or piloted. Yet the investment for housing preservation is always undermined and invested in this area. We urge the city to uphold this reso resolution that you passed as part of the chess strategies last Thank year to you, invest Teresa SOMA Imperial for, for your comments. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Hi, um, my name is Julian Ball, also with Bill Soro Housing Program. I'm going to actually be introducing a, a, a client who's received services from us, Mayra Ordonez. I'll be helping to interpret. I was wondering if we could have two minutes. Okay, great. Buenas tardes. Mi nombre es Mayra Ordonez. Mis supervisores, les agradezco por el apoyo. Hi, my name is Mayra Ordonez. Thank you, supervisors, for the support. Mi situación antes de yo tener una casa digna para mí, para mí y para mis hijos, yo vivía en un shelter y gracias al apoyo de ustedes, ahora tengo una mejor situación de vida. So I was uh, living in a shelter with my kids, but thanks to, um, thanks to 
your support and the support of the, the funds, I was able to obtain uh, permanent housing. Dignified housing. Ahora ya tengo un lugar donde vivir para mí, para mis hijos. Soy madre soltera. Gracias. Espero que sigan ayudando las organizaciones con la ayuda que siempre han dado para que nos sigan a nosotros, que no tenemos, pues yo soy indocumentada. Y gracias a ustedes por todo lo que han hecho por nosotros. So, so thanks to, uh, thanks to the help, um, I have, I'm a single mom and I have a stable housing for myself and my kids, so um, thank you for the help. Gracias, y sigan con el apoyo de las organizaciones. Bicho me ayudó bastante, pues mi barrera es en, tengo barreras con el inglés, y pues gracias a los supervisores y a todos los que nos ayudaron para, para poder obtener una casa digna y bendiciones para todos. So I have a language barrier, I, um, English is challenging, and um, so thanks to the help, I was able to get help in, in getting that housing. Gracias y buenas tardes, y sigan apoyando las organizaciones para que nos sigan ayudando a nosotros a vivir dignamente. Thank you, and please continue supporting um, all the organizations so that um, that help can continue to be available. Thank you much for your comments. Next speaker, please. Is it okay if I take a minute for myself? Great. Uh, so my name is Julian Ball. I'm a um, housing case manager with Bill Soro Housing Program um, and um, want to support uh, Choo Choo's budget asks as well. Um, under tenant support, which is one of their line items, is um, some of the work that we do falls under that. It's also about access to affordable housing uh, many people don't know that, um, you know, people think, oh, it's a lottery. Once you get selected in a lottery, that's it. You're just in. But there's uh, multiple requests for documents. Um, people contact our clients in English. They don't know what, what email they're getting. Um, and there's actually a lot of, uh, they don't, a lot of people get paid cash and it's hard to document all of that. And um, it actually takes uh, dedicated funding and dedicated support to make sure that our clients continue getting the help um, they need. So um, thank you, supervisors. Thank you much, Julian Ball. Next speaker, please. Hi, everyone. My name is Sunia Laktibi. I'm a bilingual case manager with Bill Soro Housing Program. Before I became a staff at Bishop, I was a DV survivor and I was homeless. Uh, so I was struggle to find like resources or uh, have someone who can guide me on how to find housing until I connected with Bishop who helped me through the process to find affordable housing and also a uh, few, few years later I got an offer to um, uh, apply for a job with them and also be able to uh, support uh, the Arabic speaking community and also helped him to go through the process of the below market rate housing. Uh, it was a big struggle for me to uh, do the work by myself because I was new immigrant, I have no English, but because of the support of uh, Bishop, I was able to get like a secure housing situation. And I would like you to continue support like uh, Bishop and other services to continue helping the community. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, yeah, I would like to Next speaker, my please. client, no. Dainab Lito. Thank you. Hi, 
Thank you for having us here. My name is Zainab. I am a single mom of three children, and I am a DV survivor. In the past, I was a homeless, and um, I lived in a shelter for a year in 2015. I knew that I needed to make a change to provide a better future for myself and for my children. So I worked hard and pursued my education and credential, and I got a support uh, through campus. Last year, I lost my job. I was scared because I did not want to go back to shelter. I got connected with Bishop through their outreach system and the Arabic community, who helped my family to stay off the street when we were about to lose everything. Currently, they are helping me to uh, get a rental assistant and uh, applying for low-income housing. I really, I strongly believe that Bishop did impact my life positively and my children's life, and I would like you to continue supporting them, and thank you so much for supporting us. Thank you, Nana, for your comments. Next speaker, please. <clears throat> Thank you. Good afternoon. Uh, I'm here to speak about the Brave Button. Now, the Brave Button was born uh, because of all the uh, overdoses, and it's an alternative where uh, I'm in the, the mentally uh, building. It's an alternative that the, uh, the tenants can put on their wall, and if they're having problems in their room, they can press the button. It rings to the front desk, and it also rings to my phone. I'm one of the peer advisors. So we're kind of a go-between go uh, for the police. I'm Narcan trained. Uh, we can go into the tenant's room because we're the part of the community. They trust us. There's no um, judgment. And, um, you know, we, we, we save lives in the building. Um, so I just wanted to say that it's, it's working well, and we're trying to put it in more buildings. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Next speaker, please. Um, good afternoon. My name is Yasmin Kuchisfahani. I'm a law fellow at Legal Assistance to the Elderly, and I'd like to thank the supervisors for no proposed cuts to the Tenants' Rights to Counsel programming. As you all may know, it, uh, Tenants' Right to Counsel is a citywide program that provides legal representation to those being evicted in their homes. Legal Assistance to the Elderly, our eviction defense team, is funded by this program. In 2022, we represented 455 clients in unlawful detainer eviction cases. As um, the COVID-19 pro uh, protections have come to an end, um, evictions are back up to pre-pandemic levels, landlords are still aggressively evicting tenants, and legal representation is essential. Um, TRC funding is effective at LAE. Over 90% of our clients stay housed. TRC services are cost-effective. The average cost for TRC representation is about $5,500 per eviction lawsuit, whereas homeless services is over $30,000 per recipient. Our clients are a majority uh, people with disabilities, people of color, and 23% of our clients are, are monolingual, non-English speaking um, folks here in San Francisco as rent is increased. And as I mentioned, as um, the pandemic comes to an end and all those protections that existed during that time, including the rent moratorium, come to an end, it is essential that we continue to fund the TRC program as well as increase funding for senior subsidies, as my colleague Kim Cruz will explain the importance of that. Good afternoon. I'm Kim Cruz, a District 5 resident and a clinical social worker with the TRC clients for Legal Assistance to the Elderly and the AIDS Legal Referral Panel. My function is to aid our TRC clients by connecting them to wraparound services to help them to comply with their stipulations agreements and to aid them in the stages of the UD process, the eviction process. The goal is always to save the tenancy. In 2022, we saved 455 of our clients' tenancies. That's 90% of the clients that we served. 
On a daily basis, I interface with numerous city agencies, nonprofits, mental health, and medical providers to aid our most vulnerable San Franciscans to implement wraparound services, enabling them to participate in saving their housing. 22% of our clients live in subsidized housing. 60% of our clients live below the poverty level. Our clients need to continue to receive the option of subsidies to remain housed. The majority of our clients are people of color and disabled. Thank you. Thank you much. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon. My name is Jessica Juarez. I'm a Tenants to Right Council provisional licensed lawyer, and I wanted to thank the supervisors for not having any proposed cuts to the TRC funding. I also wanted to talk about a few clients that we have helped, for example, in District 9 uh, with Supervisor Ronan, where we helped a disabled 80-year-old tenant retaining her longtime home. There was alleged nuisance and financial difficulties due to COVID-19, but LAE defended the client and we assisted her with bringing the unit to compliance, securing rental assistance and paying rent up to date. Another example in District 11, Supervisor Safahi, uh, LAE assisted a family of five through our Excelsior project, which serves low-income families. Uh, we defended the client at the court hearing when they tried to do a judgment and we set that aside successfully and the case is about to be dismissed and the family has retained their housing. There's tons of stories that we have of how many families we have saved, how many housing we have saved and we are proud of that. We also want to uh, promote that we would like no senior subsidies. We would like to increase subsidies to seniors, adults with disabilities and for adults with HIV AIDS. Thank you very much. Thank you Jessica Juarez for your comments. Next speaker please. Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Maria Samudio. I'm an organizer with the, San uh, with the Housing Rights Committee of San Francisco and here with the San Francisco Anti-Displacement Coalition um, to urge you to fully fund our essential anti-displacement work and build uh, by funding all of the Housing Stability Fund Oversight Board recommendations. We have raised the money. We just need to spend it. These funds will enable us to acquire land, construct new housing, ensure folks are able to access housing, and fund much-needed upgrades and repairs to existing housing, such as at Plaza East, where the lack of accessible public resourcing is making it so um, we might lose deeply the, the opportunity to build deeply affordable, subsidized public housing in San Francisco again. Additionally, our uh, outreach and counseling services have reached 11,000 tenants in the last year alone, and we're not even done with our budget year. Um, and so um, our work is essential and must remain fully funded. That is 11,000 people who know what their rights are, are connected to their neighbors, and are staying in their home. Thank you. Thank you much, Maria Samudio, for your comments. Next speaker, please. Hello, uh, my name is Cody Keen, and I work with Delivering Innovation in Supportive Housing. I'd like to thank the supervisors for their time today. Um, I'm here actually today on behalf of the Supportive Housing Providers Network to advocate for funding for four specific asks. First, we are requesting funds to expand our peer-led overdose response programs in PH, uh, PSH sites across San Francisco. Second, funds dedicated to safety and security in PSH to address uh, safety and security concerns both inside and outside of our sites. Third, food security expansion across PSH, including kiosks and meal deliveries. And fourth, capital improvements across PSH to improve quality of life for our existing tenants. All of these programs will help improve the lives of our tenants, keep them safe, and in some cases, save their lives. And we hope that the board and the mayor will continue to invest in supportive housing. Thank you again for your time. Thanks so much, Cody Keenan, for addressing this committee. Next speaker, please. 
Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Jeff Dolgar, and I'm the Director of Housing and Litigation at the AIDS Legal Referral Panel in our Tenant Right to Counsel program. Um, first, I want to thank the supervisors for no proposed cuts to Tenant Right to Counsel this year. Um, I wanted to offer a quick comment in response to the proposed $3.7 million in undesignated cuts to nonprofit grants this year. Um, the AIDS Legal Referral Panel and other nonprofits receive a number of grants from MOHCD. Um, these grants fund a number of programs at our organization, um, including employment and immigration and pre-eviction housing services. Um, if we were to see a cut in these areas, it would severely impact our ability to represent tenants. Um, as you can imagine, if folks do not have representation to employment, um, legal services, they can't work, um, they can't pay their rent. So these services are all intimately tied to keeping people housed. Thank you. Thanks so much for your testimony. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon. My name is Tremecia Garner, and I'm here uh, representing a couple of things. So the Supportive Housing Providers Network, and we have an ask within the Choo Choo budget that we're here to fully support. And then also within the Choo Choo request is an ask for sorts to plowshares itself to have an additional $205,000 from OCD added to um, our work, specifically representing veterans on legal claims in front of the VA. And so the ask is relatively small, and that $205K uh, a year will actually leverage about $4 million for veterans in ongoing monetary benefits and health care, which will help reduce the city funding to veterans who may be on cap assistance and also uh, San Francisco health care benefits. So we really ask that the city consider this ask and fully push these things forward to support San Francisco veterans. Thank you. Thanks so much, Teresa Lauren, for her comments. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon, Supervisors. My name is Gabriel Medina. I'm the Executive Director for La Raza Community Resource Center. Thank you for having this very important hearing. Um, La Raza, we are a bridge between San Francisco's Latin immigrant families using case management with basic needs and legal immigration services that allows us to reach deeply into the new immigrant community. Um, and we're here to make sure that we can you know, continue the diverse continuum of services for housing that we've heard today. I've heard a lot of good ideas. We also especially want to make sure that we have the continuity of all the different uh, programs and providers for rental assistance. Uh, we've served, uh, uh, what was that? Not yet, okay. <laughs> we've served uh, 2,000 families with uh, $10 million in rental assistance and continue to, we'd like to continue to reach deeply richer families. You can hear more from our, our staff that uh, have been reaching this community directly. Um, so, you know, homelessness for Latino families has increased 55% since the pandemic. So please continue to allow, you know, all these continued services to continue. Thank you. Thank you so much, Gabriel Medina, for your comments. Next speaker. I'd like to be allowed two minutes for translation. Okay. Buenas tardes a supervisores. Soy la señora Eva Ramos. Trabajo para la Raza Community Center. Hi, my name is Eva Ramos. I work at La Raza Community Resource Center. Hemos estado otorgando subsidios durante durante tres años de alquiler y apoyando a casi dos mil hogares con la ayuda de la asistencia de la renta. So I've been um, here with Arsa um, for three years, and since then we've been helping over 2,000 families with $10 million. Pues somos un centro de recursos de familias que brinda educación para los padres, servicios legales, inmigración, administración integral, eh, fondos de emergencia, eh, despensa y subsidios de alquiler. We are a family resource center providing parent education, immigration, legal services, wraparound case management, and basic needs like emergency funds, a food pantry for our 20,000 households, and rental subsidies. Okay. Uh, pues, eh, yo fui una familia beneficiada 
porque con, a trámite de la asistencia del programa de IRA, pues lamentablemente soy una madre divorciada con tres hijos con necesidades especiales, pues eso me ayudó bastante, me apoyó bastante a no poder retirarme del hogar que tengo ahorita. Y por eso les pido a ustedes que ayuden a las organizaciones y la comunidad latina que necesita mucho apoyo en los, con las familias. I'm also a recipient of the ERA program, and thankfully, um, I was able to stay housed with my three children who have special needs. Without this assistance, I would have been homeless with three, you know, special needs kids. And so I, I please ask that you please uh, continue to provide support to these organizations like La Raza, who help the communities and, and families stay housed. Oh, gracias por su... Gracias por su paciencia y su apoyo y su servicio a la comunidad. Gracias. Thank you for your help and your support to the families and Latino community. Thank you so much for your comments. Next speaker, please. Also, would like another two minutes for translation. Thank you. Buenas tardes. Mi nombre es Eustaquia y trabajo para el Centro Comunitario de Raza hace tres años. Como, uh, estoy en lado de ayuda para la asistencia de renta. Hi, my name is Ustakia, and I work at La Raza Community Resource Center, and I work with the assistance for, rental assistance program. Uh, tengo una familia que hace unos días llegó diciéndome de que ella eh, está a punto de morir su esposo um, porque le diagnosticaron cáncer, y ayer me me llamó diciendo que no va a poder pagar su renta porque el esposo fue, falleció ayer y necesita de mucha ayuda. Nosotros estamos tratando de ayudarla. A couple days ago, about three, about three days ago, I had a woman come to our offices um, saying that her husband was diagnosed with cancer and that he was terminally ill and that she wasn't going to be able to pay for her rent and she needed help immediately. It just recently had passed and so she's just needing an emergency help at this time and we're doing everything we can thanks to La Raza that we have some resources now to assist this family. Estas son una de las noticias de, los, de las familias que llegan prácticamente todos los días pidiendo varios tipos de ayuda para sus familias. Espero que nos sigan apoyando nuestra organización, ya que nuestra comunidad necesita mucha ayuda en diferentes um, programas como de la renta y también de la asistencia de emergencia. So this is just one example of the many families that come. We get families like this every day with stories of the services that they need, especially with financial assistance. And thanks to um, what we currently have, we're able to support them as much as we can with the rental assistance program and the emergency fund. And thank you for, for your time. Gracias. Thanks so much for your comments. <clears throat> so I would like to, okay, my turn. Thank you. So thank you, supervisors. My name is Sabrina Olivares, and I work at La Raza Community Resource Center as well. Uh, you know, we were founded in 1970, and we are really in grassroots with a lot of our people in our community, with the Latin community, who trust us a lot with their stories and with their vulnerabilities. And um, aside from helping 2,000 households 
and distributing those 10 million, I mean, those stories, um, I hear them all the time. I specifically work with families who um, have children five and under, and with those families, I'm able to provide with the services that I have, support I have, I'm able to provide strollers, cribs, and even funds for uh, billing utility, utility bills. I do assist families every day who come with these stories, these heartbreaking stories that need help. And a lot of times, well, like in particular families that say that sometimes they can't even afford to buy food, and with maybe helping them pay a utility bill, that just frees up some money for, for other things that they can buy. So just as an example, that's just one example of the many that we hear. Speaker's time has lapsed. Very imperative that you guys continue the support. Thank you. Thank you, Sabrina, for your comments. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Meg Heisler. I work in policy and planning at TNDC. Um, I first wanted to reiterate how critically important it is to meet our tenants' housing and health needs. Uh, this means adequately funding capital improvements so our legacy buildings are safe and accessible, as well as expanding programs and services in permanent supportive housing uh, to address food security and overdose prevention. I also want to echo the sentiment that we have a rare opportunity to preserve more units and keep vulnerable tenants stably housed as cost-effective multifamily buildings go up for sale. We're eager and ready to continue doing this work. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Meg Heisler, for your comments. Next speaker, please. Hi, I am Anya Worley-Zigmund from Delivering Innovation and Supportive Housing. I'm going to be reading a letter on behalf of one of our peer responders, Susan. I'm writing today as a peer responder in SRO housing who is committed to helping my fellow neighbors in the event of an overdose. I have seen firsthand the devastating impact that overdoses can have on people's lives within the homeless and SRO communities. That's why I'm reaching out to help advocate for funding to be allocated towards supporting peer responder programs within our city. As a peer responder, I am trained to recognize the signs of overdose and provide immediate assistance to those in need. This training has proven invaluable time and time again. By being able to respond quickly and efficiently, we can often save lives and prevent severe long-term damage. And I can personally attest that Susan, just on her own within the year the program has been running, has saved multiple lives, along with the lives of her peer responders as well. Thank you. Thank you so much, Anya Worley-Ziekman, for your comments. Seeing no further speakers here in the chamber. <clears throat> Uh, we have 26 members of the public listening to this meeting in the 18 in the queue. So, um, Mr. Lamb, if you can unmute our first caller, please. My name is Adrian Mendel, and I'm a senior community outreach attorney at the Eviction Defense Collaborative, lead agency behind the Right to Counsel program. I'm calling to implore the city not to make cuts to this program. Evictions have returned to pre-pandemic levels, which I've seen working with tenants at sites in the Mission and Bayview. I've also observed our frontline staff connect these tenants to full-scope attorneys with care and professionalism. This has a huge impact as 88% of tenants who receive full-scope representation remain housed. Considering the program is on track to serve over 2,400 tenants this year, this is an invaluable tool in preventing homelessness. The city's years-long investment in this program has led to attorneys, caseworkers, paralegals, and clinic staff who know how to prevent evictions and preserve housing. This investment will be undermined if the city does not fully fund right to counsel. Right to Council protects tenants from homelessness and preserves affordable housing. The tenants of San Francisco and frontline workers at EDC deserve no less than a right to council that is fully funded. Thank you. Thank you much, Adrian Mendel, for your comments. Mr. Lamb, next speaker, please. 
Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Lisa Kim. I am one of the supervising attorneys for Bay Area Legal Aid's San Francisco housing team. Bay Legal provides free civil legal services to San Franciscans who are living in poverty. Our work in tenant right to counsel allows us to deepen our litigation practice to preserve housing for San Francisco's most vulnerable residents. Our team is dedicated to empowering our clients by providing holistic services to meet our clients' housing needs and goals. We focus on the intersection of our clients' various identities and how they impact the way our clients are treated by systems, including the court and those who are seeking to evict them. Tenant right to counsel is a vital tool for race equity and for disability equity. Of the cases Bay Legal closed in 2022, over 60% of the clients we represented identified as having some disability. 33% of our clients identified as Black or African American. Tenant right to counsel provides a last bastion of support at the very moment these vulnerable residents are at greatest risk of displacement. Thank you for your support to preserve this essential program. Thank you much, Lisa Kim. Mr. Lamb, next speaker, please. Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Hope Williams. I am a District 8 resident and board president of the San Francisco Community Land Trust. SSDLT is a member of the Council of Community Housing Organizations. Uh, SSDLT currently holds 145 units of housing and provides housing for 300 residents of low and moderate income. We also continue to support emerging BIPOC QNPs and community-based organizations to develop small-sized program projects. Funding gaps and uncertainty make it challenging for all QNPs to do their jobs in ways that are not sustainable for staff and their organization. SFCLT is specifically requesting your support for a general operating capacity grant of $300,000 for this fiscal year. Continuity of funding is crucial for organizations like SFCLT, which maintains the stability of vital services in our communities. And we ask for your investment in our mission to provide safe, stable, and affordable housing for all San Franciscans. Thank you for your time. Thank you much, Hope Williams. Uh, Mr. Lamb, next speaker, please. Hi, this is Emily Van Loon. I'm an Associate Director of Housing Development at Tenderloin Neighborhood Development Corporation. Uh, I'm chiming in today to urge the city to commit funds to the housing preservation program in the upcoming budget. It's crucial that this money be in the preservation pipeline uh, the acquisition and preservation of existing properties not only counts towards our WENA goals, but it also ensures that low-income folks in San Francisco have safe, stable, and affordable places to live. There are many multifamily buildings coming onto the market right now, some at really great purchase prices. So now is the time to be buying buildings and preserving their affordability. We can't let these opportunities pass us by. TNDC and other nonprofit developers are consistently looking at acquisition opportunities such as these, and having funds in the housing preservation program will allow us to continue doing this important work. Thank you. Thanks so much, Emily Van Loon, for your comments. Mr. Lamb, next speaker, please. Seems to be an unsending line. Perhaps you can come back to that one. Hello? Yes, we could hear you. Great. Thanks for your time, Supervisors. Mitch Mankin from San Francisco Housing Development Corporation. I'm calling to support all of the 2-2 budget asks, but I want to highlight one program in particular. That's the $45 million for the Small Sites Program. The Small Sites Program keeps our community in place by preventing displacement and creates long-term stability and affordability for our loan residents. SFHGC is currently in the process of preserving 53 more homes through small sites. That's 53 more families will be able to stay in San Francisco at affordable rents instead of being evicted and displaced. 
And more generally, I want to say that maintaining funding for community-based organizations at the current level is critical. Services like housing counseling and resident services prevent our community members from falling through the cracks at our housing crisis. Thank you very much. Thank you much for addressing this committee. Mr. Lamb, next speaker, please. Good afternoon, Supervisors. My name is Janice Canallan with Safe and Sound. On behalf of the Family Resource Center Alliance, and I'm speaking today to highlight the Emergency Rental Assistance Program. The COVID epidemic was devastating for many families and family homelessness spiked at the beginning of the pandemic, but decreased when pandemic support services later became available. Investment in programs to build strong families and communities like the Emergency Rental Assistance Program are essential and help to retain children and families in our city. The actual need is much greater, but we are requesting additional funding of 13.9 million. Thank you. Thanks so much for addressing this committee. Next speaker, please. Appears to be unintended, we'll come back to that one. I think we're two for two. Hello. Supervisors. We must make some concerted efforts to use the funds that we have voted for from Proposition C and I. We can't leave it to the city to come out with the presentations. Now you see today there were four presentations and we are given a measly one minute to respond. That's not democracy. So whoever is the chair of the budget Whoever came out with this stupid buffoonery of giving one minute for public comment should understand that this is a republic. This is not an autocracy. A measly one minute to talk about housing, an important element in our lives. Speaker's time has Shame on you. Thank you, Francisco Costa, for your comments. Mr. Lamb, next speaker, please. Hi. Thank you, Supervisors, uh, for your advocacy and the opportunity today. My name is Stacy, a 30-year resident in District 5 in a rent-controlled apartment that is finally um, at risk. Um, after years of advocacy myself, the landlord was forced to sell the building when the seismic retrofit um, requirements exceeded her budget and she was unable to tap into uh, city funds that were supposedly available to help her. What I'm asking you today is um, please especially uh, fully fund the $85 million for these programs. They're really essential, especially the $41 million for the small sites program. It's only a less than 1% of the city budget. Taking it away from this will not help uh, do anything for the overall city budget if it's scattered within that and the solutions that the voters have already passed on this windfall uh, of money for affordable housing deserve to be spent on this. As someone who walked precincts for Proposition I, I can tell you voters are, will lose even more faith in your ability to solve these problems if you fail to fully fund these programs as Speaker we have demanded. I've Thank you much, Stacey, for your comments. 
Mr. Lamb, next speaker, please. Good afternoon. This is Marnie Regan with Larkin Street Youth Services. I'm also co-chair of HESPA and D1 resident. We strongly and respectfully request that any cuts from OCD not be taken from nonprofit contractors who utilize MoCD funds to literally keep vulnerable, disabled, and medically fragile people housed and out of the homeless response system. Nonprofits are already bracing for the impact of flat funding without a cost of doing business increase, which amounts to cuts when expenses keep increasing. In accordance with the mayor's priorities of public safety, homelessness, and behavioral health, and on behalf of HESPA and the Supportive Housing Providers Network, we implore you not to cut service providers' funds, which will significantly disrupt our ability to prevent further and deeper homelessness. Use the unspent funds noted in the BLA audit to keep contracts whole and sustain funding for subsidies and rental assistance for seniors, families, and people living with HIV and disabilities. Thank you. Supervisor Walton for your unending and unwavering support of CBOs. Thank you. Thank you much, Marty Regan, for your comments. Mr. Lamb, next speaker, please. Good afternoon, Supervisors. This is Zach Weisenberger with Young Community Developers in District 10. Uh, we understand the economic realities in our city and the resulting budget cuts. However, the city should not balance the budget off the backs of our communities by cutting essential services and programs. The city budget reflects our values and prioritizing the protection of at-risk communities is essential to the future of our city. YCD is grateful for the city's investments in CBOs as we've benefited from these policies and they have allowed us to grow the impact of our work in the black community. Black residents are extremely overrepresented in low-income housing and precarious housing situations in general. Because of this, we urge the city to continue to support black-led and black-serving organizations like ours so that we can carry out the necessary work of stabilizing our city's black residents. Rental assistance programs are also critical to this mission as it is often the last line of defense before facing the reality of being on the street. Black residents are heavily disproportionately represented in our city's homeless population, and it's critical that we not add to these inequitable outcomes. We urge you to fully fund these programs to support our city's at-risk residents who, like the city of San Francisco, are trying to recover from economic hardship. Thank you for your consideration. Thanks so much, Zach Weisenberger, for your comments. Mr. Lamb, next speaker, please. Hi, good afternoon. My name is Lupe. Um, I'll be uh, requesting two minutes since I'll be helping translating a tenant who uh, lives in a small site building. Buenas tardes, supervisores. Mi nombre es Jenny Aguilar y soy residente de la misión. Vivo en el vecindario por más de 20 años. Hi, good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Jenny. I am a resident of the Mission neighborhood and have lived here for 20 years. Estoy pidiendo que se dedique nuevos, nuevamente nuevos fondos para el programa de preservar sitios pequeños. I am asking that new funds be dedicated to the small sites preservation program. Y nosotros podamos quedarnos a vivir en ese tipo de apartamentos. Porque mi casa eh, fue comprada por un programa de estos que comprada en 2018 en MEDA. Um, I can stay in San Francisco because my apartment was purchased in 2018 with the small size program, which was purchased by MEDA. No soy la única persona viviendo en, en estos edificios. 
y les pido por favor dediquen dinero nuevamente para ese programa y podamos más familias quedarnos a vivir en San Francisco y tener una vida y trabajo aquí. I am not the only one whose building is at risk for, for sale. There's a lot of families also, and I would appreciate if funds be dedicated to this program. Please keep San Franciscans like myself um, so that we can stay to live, work, and have our families be successful here. Thank you. Thank you much for your help, Lupe and Jamie Aguilar, for your comments. We currently have 12 members of the public listening to this uh, meeting with 13 in the queue to speak. So, Mr. Lamb, next speaker, please. Hi, good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Reina Tello, community organizer with Poder, who is a member of Choo Choo. I'm calling today in full support of the Choo Choo and HSS budget recommendations, especially subsidies, not only for seniors, but also the low-income community members, especially those under 30% AMI. Listening to today's hearing, I just want to uplift the need to prevent homelessness, especially with the increasing threats of eviction. And yes, I agree with Supervisor Walton. We need to fund the C and MOHCD. There is so much expertise in that C. Uh, please fully fund these organizations. Thank you. Thank you so much, Raina, for your comments. Mr. Lamb, next speaker, please. Good afternoon, Supervisors. This is Anastasia Yovanopoulos, a District 8 senior tenant with San Francisco Tenants Union. We urge you to fully support the Housing Stability Fund Oversight Board's recommendations and ask the city to commit funding that nonprofit community developers can count on to build housing for our BIPOC low-income residents and workers in the community built by the community. Tenants are now at greater risk of displacement and eviction due to the eviction moratoriums winding down and process improvements to hasten production of market rate units to implement the housing element are put in place. We can't afford to put profits over people who have nowhere to go in the city when they lose their homes. Tenants, including seniors, may not know their rights, so tenant counseling and referrals to legal services are critical and need full funding. We support senior operating subsidies. Most seniors don't have enough income to qualify for low-income affordable housing or pay $1,500. Again, so sorry to cut anybody off, but thank you for your comments. Anastasia Yofanopoulos. Mr. Lamb, next speaker, please. Hello, do we have a caller? Hello? We do hear you. Please begin. Good afternoon, Supervisors. My name is Charles Lafarge. I'm the Director of Policy with ECS, Episcopal Community Services. ECS currently provides supportive housing services to more than 2,000 formerly homeless San Franciscans across 20 permanent supportive housing sites in our city. I'd like to register our strong support for the Joint Choo Choo and Housing Stability Fund Oversight Board budget asks today, in particular, the request for capital improvements and tenant services investments for our many PSH sites. Thank you. Thank you much for addressing this committee. Mr. Lamb, next speaker, please. Hello, caller, we do Hello? hear you. Hello, hi. My, hi. Hi, my name is Saki Bailey, and I'm the ED of San Francisco Community Land Trust. I'm also a board member of Choo Choo, and I'm here to advocate for SFCLT and for Choo Choo. I'm here to advocate for the $45 million, which should be added to the small sites program in this budget cycle. I'm, I'm also making a budget request 
for 300,000 for 2024-2025 for SFCLT to maintain the capacity as built over this last year to act on couple listings. SFCLT is an important developer of the small sites program, being the largest citywide developer of this SSP, and we do important work to stop displacement and create permanently affordable housing, which is critical to meeting the goals and priorities advanced by the COPA and SSP, as well as the housing element. SFCLT developed the first pilot program of the SSP and continues to do innovative work in the acquisition and development of projects like 285 Turk, for which we raised $1.8 million. We're also doing important work in supporting the ecosystem of new BIPOC QMPs and CBCs by working to develop projects jointly as JV agreements. If SSTLT's capacity is not supported, the capacity of other QMPs will also be neglected, and therefore we ask that this 300000 is included in this budget. Speaker. Thank you. Thank you, Saki Bailey, for your comments. Mr. Lamb, next speaker, please. Good, um, good evening. My name is Lucia Obregón. I am the director of the San Francisco Latino Parity and Equity Coalition. We represent 22 organizations serving the Latinx community citywide. I want to urge you to advocate and fight to keep all CBO's budgets whole so we can continue to provide critical services to our community. All of our organizations serve as hubs to the Latino community. We offer wraparound services, and we know that the strategies that we implement are preventing people from becoming unhoused. We're connecting people to real financial opportunities and increase people's access to housing. Just as last year, the SF Homelessness Count served, uh, uh, reported that the Latinos now account 30% of homeless population, a 55% increase since 2019, with job loss and eviction being the primary reason for homelessness. Many factors contribute to Latinos being vulnerable to homelessness. Um, San Francisco Latinx have seen our generation's largest saving and wealth stripping event in this pandemic. A local study shows that 75% of Latinx work in low-wage and frontline jobs. Yeah, speaker, the ramifications of COVID. Thank you so much, Lucia, for your comments. Uh, Mr. Lim, next speaker, please. Good afternoon. My name is Sharon Herrera-Licona, and I manage the housing and rent relief resources at the Latino Task Force Recovery Hubs. I am here to support the efforts to maintain housing stability for our community members. In the last few years, funding has been critical to stabilizing dozens of households in the Mission, Excelsior, and Bayview districts. The LTF recovery hubs have seen an increase in the need for our senior population and the newcomer immigrant families. The senior housing subsidies from MOHCD and other agencies will be crucial for the housing stability of our senior population. The LTF recovery hubs have a strong partnerships with CBOs that operate with these funds, for example, Catholic Charities, EDC, MEDA, and PODER, just to mention a few. The LTF supports the preservation of funds to CBOs and the preservation of subsidies and rent relief. Our community members deserve the right to save and stable housing. Thank you. Thanks so much for addressing this committee. Mr. Lamb, next speaker, please. Hi, um, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Please begin. Hi, thank you. Hi, my name is Athena Caldas. Um, good evening, supervisors. Um, I'm the chief of staff at La Raza Community Resource Center, uh, where since 1970, uh, we work to meet the unmet needs uh, of the Latina migrant community and to support the needs of residents in San Francisco through our social service and legal service programs. Um, and we do this to promote self-sufficiency. Um, we've been serving the community with the Emergency Rental Assistance Program uh, since its inception, keeping our doors open all throughout the pandemic. 
Um, and we know that the Latina community has faced the risk of becoming unhoused due to the, pan due to the pandemic and since that one of the um, most highest rates here in San Francisco. Um, it's imperative that the program continue to be funded so that this critical resource is available to our most vulnerable community members. So I'm urging this board to choose to continue to fund ERAP so that Let Us OCRC and our other partner agencies can continue this important work for the city. Speaker Thank Sam you for your time. Thank you so much for addressing this committee. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Ivan Crowder. I'm the manager for the Latino Task Force, and I'm calling on behalf of the San Francisco Latino Task Force and the San Francisco Latino Parity and Equity Coalition uh, to ensure the preservation of the 3.7 million that's slated to be cut in the MOHCD budget. Those are crucial funds that uh, fund the Latino safety net. Uh, we need to preserve those funds, uh, especially at this moment. Those funds uh, are part of a robust network of services that help to keep families housed, to keep families thriving, and to keep our uh, neighborhood safe. So please, please do everything that you can to preserve those $3.7 million uh, that are dedicated to nonprofits. Uh, it would greatly impact the Latino community who's already a, uh, experiencing a 55% increase in homelessness. Thank you. Thank you much, Ivan Calderon, for your comments. Mr. Lamb, next speaker, please. It does still sound unsended. Good afternoon, Chair and Committee members, Eliana Binder, Policy Associate for Glide and District 8 resident. Glide is a proud member of the Homeless Emergency Services Providers Association, and I want to uphold HESPA's budget request. Not only should MOHCD not cut programs, it should expand the rental assistance program for seniors and people with disabilities, along with the emergency rental assistance program. HESPA is proposing additional subsidies with new allocations of over $4 million targeting seniors and adults with disabilities and people living with HIV. This funding can be used both to keep people in their current affordable housing and to help others to exit homelessness and move into new affordable housing. Seniors and people with disabilities are disproportionately represented in the homeless population. More than 11% of the disabled adult population in San Francisco is homeless. We know that it is much more cost-effective to keep people in their current housing rather than to allow them to become homeless. While the city has provided modest amounts of funding for housing subsidies for seniors and people with disabilities, we believe that the Speaker city can and elapsed. should do more. Again, so sorry to cut you off, Eliana Bender, but thank you for addressing this committee. Um, Mr. Lamb, next speaker, please. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, do I have the same 60 seconds as everyone else? Can you hear me? Uh, yes, we can. Please begin. Yes. Do I have the same 60 seconds as everyone else? Uh, uh, do you have one minute to address this committee? And uh, as yes, we do not answer right. questions. Thank you. Okay, so, so let me begin. Okay, so I'm kindly asking you, I, I'm a San Francisco resident who was born here, raised here, and uh, I live in an SRO. And I have been 
struggling. Uh, I'm a participant in the Narcan training uh, that has been uh, piloted at the Boyd Hotel, and we're requesting funding, additional funding, to continue expanding across the city to uh, continue uh, to stop the overdosing problem pandemic that's affecting our city. And uh, this would involve the uh, funding uh, trained staff um, and training tenants to identify the symptoms of overdose because ambulances are $3,000 burden bills that the homeless aren't going to pay versus Narcan doses, which are $20. That's which are has the same. Uh, Mr. Lamb, next speaker, please. still unintended. Good afternoon. This is Teresa Flandrick, uh, North Beach Tenants Committee, and I'm calling to ask you, to urge you, actually, to fully adopt the recommendations of both the Housing Stability Fund out, um, Oversight Board as well as that of Choo Choo. Again, we voted for Prop I funds to be dedicated uh, funding for affordable housing for our affordable housing crisis. This is, this is the time to release that fund and to have a chance to preserve existing housing and to produce housing that actually meets the greater needs of the very many. Please help us stabilize our communities and thank you. Thank you much, Teresa Flandrick, for your comments. Mr. Lim, next speaker, please. Hi there. Uh, good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Riley Riva, and I live in uh, Southern Mission. Um, I would say that uh, San Francisco promised uh, the state that we would develop at least 46,000 new units of affordable housing in the next eight years, but we've only developed about 8,000 units. So we really need to take action, and this year will help us do that um, as a rent and safety on. I know that safety really starts with having a home and a safe place to return to. So thanks for listening, and I hope the city does the right thing and invests in Prop 1. Thank you much for your comments. Mr. Lamb, next speaker, please. Uh, Madam Chair, it appears that our last callers are uh, unattended or have dropped off, so that completes our queue. Seeing no more public comments, public comment is now closed. Thank you, and uh, I think given today's uh, public comments, I hope that it gives us sort of a um, prelude to the budget upcoming. I hope that gives city departments uh, involving housing and providing subsidies, providing, uh, providing housing and shelters, uh, some food for thoughts. Um, I just really want to close out to this. Um, I, it is my intention to, uh, at this moment, to continue this item to the call chair, uh, because I think that there are actually a lot of questions to be answered. Um, I do wanted to give a um, couple 
just concluding remarks on this uh, based on my colleagues' feedback. Uh, I think for first for Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development, um, the $3.7 million of community-based organizations like nonprofit cuts, uh, we would like more information on that. Um, and that uh, also for, um, I think that the conversation about property maintenance percentage dollar and funding right now um, currently according to the presentation is 1%. And you know, in the events to really meet the goal of uh, what Choo Choo and the Housing Stability Fund Oversight Boards ask uh, of 18 million, that would be a 10% total um, of your of your share of your budget. Um, with that, also wanted to, you know, um, for uh, Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development to really consider and thinking about land acquisition and small sites preservation um, and, and how we are able to move it forward um, in the upcoming budget in earnest. Um, I, so I urge to have an ongoing conversation with housing advocates. Uh, and definitely for the um, Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing, I want to say that I concur with Supervisor Walton's frustration around Pier 94. It is sort of this um, interesting dynamic that I, I, I think that you, we're evicting folks in one site, but then also asking us to house more. And so it doesn't equate. Um, so I, what I ask is that we come back with a, a more detailed plan um, in, in written form and not just in verbal form response for Pier 94, but also a uh, process for good neighbor policy management plan uh, responding to the frustration of Supervisor Ronan. And I think that we will also, um, I will also look to Supervisor Safa Yi, and since he's the author of the um, Homeless Oversight Commission, that perhaps both items, Pier 94, as well as a good neighbor policy management plan should be something that the commission so, should look at and evaluate in the coming weeks, not months, but coming weeks. And we'll, so we'll follow up with that, um, with those items. And with that said, I know that that like Director Dooning and a Dooning Mayor's Office of Budget Director has left the room, um, but Tom Paulino from the Mayor's Office is still here on I assume on her behalf. So um, it is critical, I hope that uh, with this hearing to give all of us some thoughts about, you know, I appreciate the, to maintain the funding level for tenants' rights to counsel. Uh, that is, as we all have heard loud and clear, a critical program uh, to maintain. So I appreciate uh, the continued effort to maintain uh, funding for that. Um, I think that though with the potential of housing, affordable housing bond coming up in November, uh, uh, in March 2024 uh, for the city and county of San Francisco, but also possible a regional affordable housing bond in November 2024. I think more than more critical than ever to really have a conversation in earnest how we're spending those dollars and how do I most importantly prioritize the spending of those dollars. With that said, um, colleagues, thank you so much for your patience and thank you so much for everyone that came out with public comments. Um, Mr. Clerk, I would like to make the motion uh, to continue this item to um, the call chair and with that, um, please call the roll.
Uh, Madam Chair, we'll need a second. Yes. Okay. On that motion by uh, Chair Chan, seconded by Vice Chair Mandelman, that uh, we continue this hearing to the call of the chair. Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Member Safai. Safai absent. Member Ronan. Ronan absent. Member Walton. Walton, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have three ayes with the members Safai and Ronan absent. Thank you. The motion passes. And Mr. Cook, do we have any other business before us today? Um, Madam Chair, that concludes our business. Thank you. The meeting is adjourned.